Hello humans, welcome to the M-Word Podcast, brought to you by Martin, that's me, and Matt, that's him. Hello Matt. Alright. Hello Andrew. Hello. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Uh, Loads to dig into. The first thing is, where is the name Roach from? Uh, So, good question. Um, I've I've googled it so I know the answer. (laughs) So, well, our interpretation of it is from the Irish kind of link of Roach. Okay. Um, and before that is from the French Normans, I think. Is that That's right? right. So yeah, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, I've got, yeah. I got my homework right. Yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that went to Ireland, and that's obviously that's a strong name in Ireland now. Um, and my dad is his family is from Ireland, oh. so Roach stems from there. Although right, okay. I'm actually from the Isle of Man myself. My mum was from uh, Peel, okay. being a Gael. Oh right, okay. So. Um, but yeah, still keep that kind of strong connection with Roach and that kind of Irish link to the to the name as well. Have you still family over there, Ireland? I've is. got kind of distant families, cousins and um, long lost relatives and what have you. Yeah, definitely. I know you go to Canada a bit. Have you got family there as well? Both my sisters live in Canada, mm-hmm. so I I grew I actually grew up in Canada. So we moved. I was born on the island and then moved to Canada when I was four years old. So I spent pretty much all of my teenage life in Canada which is kind of a little bit different like I have a little bit of a different upbringing I suppose to your average person my same age on the island if you like so yeah whereabouts in Canada close to Calgary so Calgary's kind of the big the biggest town uh from from where I would be like so I'm two hours south of there a place called Lethbridge okay close to the Rockies right okay so what was life like being brought up in Canada? Uh, Learning to ski and good French. actually, yeah, yeah, I actually loved it. And you it. must know French then with the name no, and being in Canada. We were the opposite side, so we oh, didn't right. we didn't learn French on our side. So my, I suppose my upbringing, I'm from, well, born in the seventies, but kind of, um, you know, teenage life was through the eighties. So look at any typical American eighties based high school film, and that's kind of what life was like. <laughs> <laughs> Singing and dancing is that not what all American kids? BMX and you skateboarding from uh, Saved by the Bell. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. And were you riding bikes at young at a younger age? BMX. So okay. yeah, I never rode a road bike until we actually moved back to the Isle of Man. Right. Um, so I was I was BMXing, but I BMXed kind of national series level when we were living there, um, kind of chasing national rounds through through into America as well. Um, so did that up until I was whoa, fifteen. I guess and then we moved to back to the island when I was 15 kind of just going on 16 what brought the family here back here just the uh, economy basically so um, Canada was going through a recession at that time so my parents just wanted to kind of get back to the island at the time and, and what age were you then at that age I was oh, I was kind of a difficult age actually so I was 15 mm. so last mm-hmm. last couple of years in school um, a ground load of mates there etc yeah so mm. everyone I grew up with I kind of left moved back here didn't really know anybody didn't kind of get how school worked here school was extremely different here to what it was over there not that i was great in school anyway it was not one of my uh not one of my life loves if you like yeah. <laughs> um so yeah it was, it was in that sense it was quite difficult kind of moving back meeting new friends um just kind of getting into that groove and just and, and i suppose that's why sport really helped me i suppose you know kind of got into into cycling then and then you know you, you meet a lot of people within sport so that's what kicked that off was that straight into road cycling then it's kind of 15 16 yeah so i mean when we moved back i still wanted to race bmx but it, we didn't really have it on the island so 
Um, my dad used to race bikes, um, so you know I, I took an interest from it from my dad racing, and that's that what that's what kind of spurred me into doing it really. Did your dad have good pedigree? <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I mean, he was, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think back to what my dad had done. My dad was always a good, a good bike rider. Um, back then, I suppose they didn't have enough money to, to travel to all the races. So mm. he was, he was good on the Island. He held the mountain time trial record for a long, long time. Um, he was asked to ride the milk race, I think towards the end okay. of his career, but he, he was kind of working back then. So work took over and yeah, kind of good standard then for sure over. yeah yeah and you've got i know uh well you say you got two sisters in canada you got other siblings i know just my two sisters right Do they stay there Do they come here and then so, go back out no one stayed right. and then one came back and then she went back over there probably for oh, maybe 15 years maybe ago now maybe longer than that actually oh, and as you got into the road cycling how quickly did you realize that you're reasonably good at it to say the least <laughs> um I suppose, I suppose I kind of took to it quite quick because I had ridden a bike, like everything I did was on a bike before that. So like I said, I raced BMX. Um, anytime me and my pals went out, it was always on a bike. You know, we, we would ride stupid distances on, on BMX bikes, basically. So I think the first race I ever did on the Isle of Man, I won it. And, <laughs> and then the first race I ever went away to was the schoolboy, what would be youth championships nowadays in um, Liverpool and i won that so <clears throat> so i knew i could do something with it yeah, yeah. i know that's just through i wouldn't even say structured training just riding your bike and that was just through riding my bike i didn't know what kind structured of training was right? <laughs> <laughs> having some uh yeah ta- talent that is i guess coming shining through yeah so how did that progress into taking it more seriously you know school finished i assume and then did yeah. you start working with? I know you worked with your dad for a while. Was that back then? Did yeah, I, did, I suppose. Well, when I left school, I started. I started an apprenticeship as an electrician. Um, so I went through that and then kind of continued racing. Uh, so I was doing back then what was called the well, still is the Peter Buckley series. So that's the junior series that's still going now. So I was doing yeah, that. So that's all for top top juniors around the UK. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, yeah. So um, you know, carried on racing through those um and i was i was i suppose a decent junior you know i could get good results in those races um and kind of followed that as well as kind of working with my dad i never really liked the job i was doing it's just kind of where i landed at the time i suppose people you know at at my age i suppose back then there wasn't a a lot of opportunity you kind of either went into an office job or you you started a trade that's kind of how it worked and and i picked the trade route kind of not by choice it's just that that's what was there my dad did it so that's what i started doing <clears throat> um who, who were you racing with who was around at that time time of your age so were... junior wise we've got matthew stevens um who else was around those days so matthew stevens obviously common commentates on uh, gcn and the likes now um a couple of years older than me obviously there was rob holden so rob was was kind of he was in manchester wheelers and coming back and forward to the island at that time um so he was kind of somebody who I kind of looked up to then, you know, he, he was, you know, one of these guys who was riding the milk race at the time. And I was a bit, you know, I was still junior then. And he was, he was kind of the, one of the UK pro, one of the big yeah. hitters in the UK. So it was always kind of cool seeing him riding on the Island. Yeah. Um, kind of like today where you get, you know, people like, uh, um, oh, 
Ben Swift and, and the likes coming over, yeah. you know, people look up to those guys, I'm sure, in the same light. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's, so, so the milk race, that was, I suppose, what you now is the Tour of Britain, really, isn't it? Resurrected. It's yeah. the old Tour of Britain. Yeah. The milk sponsored it, I, I think, if I recall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it kind of, so the milk race then, I suppose there was the milk race and there was the Tour of Britain. So the milk race was the amateur version, I think. And then they had okay. the Tour of Britain kind of came in a little bit later, which was the pro only one and then and then it's it kind of merged together didn't it and 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 it's kind of now what we know as the tour of britain and for uh for you then as a junior i mean locally one who was around and two were you obviously going well in the uk we was were you the standout the word talent that's the word you don't mind being associated with on the island <laughs> were you that top talent on the island at that stage um i guess i i was I me mean, i don't like saying no that, we'll say it then so, yeah, I, yeah, I said was, it, it's yeah. fine yeah um yeah because last year junior I, um i got selected onto the world's team as well so went to moscow to ride the the junior worlds um and i'm not too i'm not too sure if anybody else from the island up until kind of recent days has done that actually and definitely max and, and people like that have definitely done it more recently yeah <clears throat> I say at that time then were you thinking that that could be a route then if work work wise it weren't really let's say in the most thrilling in the world yeah so in the back of your mind when picking up all these races was that kind of where you were more leaning into putting your energy into and trying to see where you can go yeah uh, well definitely you know for sure back then that's my dream was to be a pro bike rider basically um yeah, like I said, didn't... I mean, at that stage, you, I mean, you look at that today as someone coming through the ranks and there's obviously quite clear paths. Back then it was, I think, Belgium trying to be recognised or, you know, continent trying to be recognised. But the cla- the path was a lot less clear. Obviously, the British cyclists in general weren't what you see today. So that must have been quite hard to envisage that just by the pure nature that not many people made it. There was the Robert Millers, I guess, around that time that were good. So like you say, Rob was kind of working through those ranks as well. But yeah, where I think today a 16-year-old can actually, you know, it feels like a, not an easy dream. You have to work hard oh, to get yeah, there. But back yeah. then, I, I'd have thought it would be even harder to imagine reaching those heights. Yeah, well, like you say, the pathway, there, there wasn't a pathway. Um, you know, I remember saying to different people that I wanted to be a pro bike rider and people would just say don't be so stupid you know what are you what are you talking about mm. um and very very few people did kind of back then you know definitely I suppose the end of the 80s early 90s you could just look at the stats so the amount of pro bike riders that we had from the 80s say for example mm. from from the UK or from Ireland very very few mm. compared to now but it's just that's just kind of life in general, isn't it? Opportunities change. The sports definitely change massively. So, so th- those pathways are in place now for people to aspire to, which makes it a heck of a lot more, um, well, aspiring to to young people getting involved in the sport. At least they can see an opportunity mm-hmm. if they if they're good enough to do it. By by no means is it easy. Definitely not no. easy. And you mentioned so Moscow, quite a big, you know. Appreciate you going with a GB squad, I guess, but. A fairly young age. How did you find traveling there and going to? Um, I loved it actually. So the, the traveling side of it is something that I really did love and still do love about the sport actually. So, um, but yeah, uh, like GB days then. I remember. Um, so we went out 
got given clothing, tracksuits, uh, all the gear and everything else. Um, and we had to give it all back at the end of the race. Right. <laughs> that yeah. was that was their budget Budgets back then. then. Yeah, yeah. So their budget was basically zero back then compared to what they have now. Um, and yeah, we arrived Moscow kind of world championships. No real, you know, we had a mechanic with us who was just kind of dabbling with a few screwdrivers and stuff. <laughs> didn't have a clue what he was doing really. And and you know, it's just just massively changed. That would never happen nowadays. Uh, and <clears throat> I mean, we'll come on to chat part of this conversation came up when we were chatting online about Lance Armstrong but back then there's the sort of the the Iron Curtain and the, certainly if you watch stuff about doping and, and performance in Hank and Icarus things like that Russia was you know the naughty little people apparently <laughs> but even back then was that something at that early stage you might have been aware of that was going on or rumours that the, the, whether it was with British or, or generally around in the sport uh, as a junior, no, I would no. have been completely oblivious to it. Um, Lance Armstrong actually rode the same junior world championships that I rode. Okay, um, and you know, I doubt he was doing anything there. No. Mm. I would, I would hope not. Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I couldn't. Not from the Russians, you. not from the Russian side, but just that. He, you know, I don't know whether they turned up and absolutely smashed everyone. I don't know. Well, they did actually. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah they, they cleaned up on the track at that time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but maybe, again, no intimation at that young age. That, I, I would not that we're implying there was either, but just no I, no. I wouldn't have if even if guys were blatantly doing it, I probably wouldn't have even known right. what the, what the heck was going doing, on. Really, right? Uh, so what progressed after after the junior ranks? You presumably going to senior and yeah, uh, this must so, be early nineties. Yeah, early nineties. So yeah, went from from junior up to senior again, kind of doing the equivalent of our premier series now used to be called the star trophies then and and like i say still desperate you know all i wanted to, to do was to become a, a pro bike rider so um doing everything that i could at that time to do it um so i was you know did a couple of ra- couple of years racing in the uk getting some decent results and then just talking to as many people as i could to just to get an opportunity somewhere that i could kind of get a get a ride um so that happened <clears throat> by chance, actually. So I kind of went, like you said, there wasn't really a pa- there was still no pathway then. So there, were, you know, still very, very few bike pro bike riders. Probably less actually then than there was in the eighties who were coming from mm. the UK and Ireland. So I made a couple of connections in America. So went out to America for a year, uh, raced there, had some good results, and then had the offer to go back the following year on a on a pro ride but that same winter i came back to the island and had an offer to go to europe on a pro ride so it was kind of a big quite a big decision so obviously all i wanted to do was you know you want to be a pro bike rider but your ultimate dream is to be, to ride the tour de france so europe was yeah. Yeah. was then that option that's mm-hmm. the one i went with right <clears throat> and what team was that back then a uh, team called uh, fs maestro at the time so it was at the time it was the only uk pro team so uk registered pro team um and the the guy that kind of put the bolts in place for that was tim harris so he's now the director one of the ds's for uh, bahrain merida um so he was still rider manager at that time um kind of a big influence for me really throughout my whole kind of racing years from then on so is he a little bit older is he he would be he's probably i think he's 12 years older than me okay. so in his 30s <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
my dream. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I kind of, obviously I took that option, went to Belgium, raced there. And at that, is that a paid contract or is that, <clears throat> I will pay your expenses and at, if you at, win something, you share it. So at that time, so I turned pro in 90, uh, I was in America in 95, turned pro in 96 in Belgium. And it was just a really small Belgian pro team. So expenses, obviously I didn't have to pay for anything. Um, and that's how that's how probably at least half the the pro teams that were racing back then kind of worked. I mean, there was there was guys riding the Tour de France who were getting paid ten grand a year then. <laughs> so again, that's yeah. how times have changed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but obviously, it was a massive opportunity to jump at, and we we rode you know all all the races you kind of watch on television, racing with the with the top guys. Uh, and again, sport the way it was then, you didn't have all the divisions within pro leagues, so you were either pro or you were amateur. There was no in between. So mm. when you turned pro, you were just you the big boys. It was the equivalent of being world tour basically. You were just you know riding every every race that you could possibly ride. And was it a shock to the system <clears> joining <throat> that? Massive massive change in pace, like the the speed between amateur and pro then and i'm sure it is now was such a big jump um but at the same time i wasn't kind of embarrassing myself either i was still i was so first year pro is getting some top 20 results um in in decent races so let's backtrack slightly then into 93 when i think the drugs and cycling changed massively when the first use of what they believe is EPO, well, was EPO around then. There was a team called G Wiz, I think they were, and they yeah. they came from kind of not nowhere. They had good riders, but they were kind of one, two, three in racing. And you look back and you kind of laugh at it, really, in hindsight. But at the time, they just seemed to dominate. And that was the era where uh, EPO seemed to first sort of rear its head more and more and become more prevalent. So you mentioned there 95, 96 into Europe. Is that something you'd seen or aware of before you made that step into Europe? So before the step, obviously I've seen those results on television as well and, and just being naive, you think, geez, these yeah. guys are amazing sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and not until it landed in that world did I kind of realize what was going on. Um, so like I say, Tim Tim Harris was the rider sort of manager of the team in, in a sense. Um, He'd been pro for 12 years at that time, so he'd ridden with Festina and some other big teams along the way. And even then, he'd, he'd seen the change, so he suddenly he was getting dropped in races, whereas he'd never been dropped, you know, just out, out the back on his own before in a race in his life. So he he kind of seen the change more so than we did. We, we just arrived there and thought, this is, you know, this is as fast as it is. That's just what it's like. So it was kind of just speaking to guys who'd already been there and they'd seen it. <clears throat> they'd seen how that speed and everything had changed. Then we got to know what was going on really. And was that a slow progression of knowledge of kind of suspicion, not suspicion, but mm, doesn't seem right. And then someone might say something and not really. Um, I suppose, um, Tim talked to you about it. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, mm. we, we, we seen it. I mean, I remember showing up to one race in particular, kind of sitting in the, in the, changing rooms there's again no team buses then sort of sitting in the changing rooms with some of these guys and they were just pulling out needles and whacking it into the car mm. and and now i know what they were using and that was kind of older guys who'd been around a long time and they were still using amphetamine at that time and they were just kind of juicing themselves up ready for ready for action basically and, and you know that's kind of that was a big eye opener mm. um and then obviously we we got to know what 
was happening in a lot of the races which was massive use of vpo and growth hormone and everything else and and just again we didn't really know what it was because we i'd never even heard of the stuff you know so you just still thought you were just getting your head kicked in because these guys were better than you. you didn't really kind of understand what what the benefit was to all this stuff they were taking right. um obviously that that, that changed yeah. over a bit of time you now real most people will kind of realize what sports en enhancement does for for the people that were doing it um but at the time <clears throat> we were just kind of i mean if you look back at that now as you're in that environment you're seeing and aware of it then obviously some self responsibility in whether you take them or not but do you get do you get annoyed by the uh governing bodies and people that are supposed to control those things because if it was fairly open that it was going on to a point that again only from the outside looks little action about it certainly until we fast forward to 99 there doesn't seem to be a lot of action about it don't get me wrong there could have been a lot going on but does that does that agree with you uh not so much, really. No. Um, where do you, you lay the blame on the rider for making the decision? No, I wouldn't really, because I get both sides of the story. So um, I kind of I had to make the decision myself, really, and and I could have swung it both ways. I could have. I I can see why you would do it. So like I say, all I ever wanted to do was be a pro bike rider. I got my foot on the ladder and I'd kind of climbed halfway up the ladder, and then I kind of got basically hit a brick wall where either. You try and do it clean or you take the gear and you can keep climbing the ladder do you remember that, those days thinking about that yeah oh yeah definitely um and it, it was quite hard actually um you know i couldn't have done it because i don't think i could have lived with myself if i'd have done it and there's definitely a lot of guys who haven't lived with themselves you know there's a lot of people who've kind of definitely had mental problems over the, the guys who had done it some some of them aren't even around to you know mm. today uh like Pantani, obviously, there's, there's a good case. Maybe he would have, you know, not yeah. been uh, great anyway. But there's a lot of guys who definitely, I think, were affected big time by, by taking the drugs they were taking and you just couldn't deal with the decision that they'd made, basically. And so when you are sat there in, in the changing rooms and seeing that going on, it I know you're saying about looking back and being naive on a ball, but is it not... A, was it a ruling that you're not supposed to ask about it? If you see needles going on, you're not saying what what are you doing, or you don't speak to the manager, or, or is it just kind of he's doing that? That must just be a normal thing. And or were you kind of was it? Or were you told, I guess, of a that goes on, don't don't question it, carry right. on your race sort of thing. It's just from 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 seeing it, and I not kind of saying this is wrong don't do it yeah but i know you're not supposed to because being inside in that world and that side it's kind of like were you specifically told this goes on don't do it or is it just this is just natural and that's just how it is and you do what you do when you go race yeah um kind of the latter of what you said there really so you've land you've landed in their world basically yeah this is this is where you are now so accept it or else leave and and I remember, I remember doing one race in particular. So our our team manager, at the time, he knew what was going on, and he he also he'd ridden the Tour de France and stuff like that as well. Um, and he'd seen a change, <clears throat> and he didn't like it. And we had so we had our second team manager come with us to to a particular race that we're doing. I can't remember what the heck the race was now. 
But I do remember we were all sat down at the table and we were getting our heads kicked in. Basically, it was a stage race. And the manager turned around to the whole lot of us and basically just said, either you, all of you start doing what these guys are doing or just you might as well go home. Wow. And, you know, as clear as day as that. And But that's that's what they expected of you. So they, if you didn't kind of jump on the bandwagon and, and accept what that world was all about, mm. they didn't even know, want to know you, basically. <clears throat> and the the older riders from that time period as well, that, that was their kind of mentality. You know, you either accept what we're doing or else leave. Wow. So we ever, we ever <clears throat> directly offered them? Uh, did you think it was I was yeah all oh, right okay. but, yeah um but I never did it yeah. was there a the not doing bit is that you know, talk about being able to live with yourself if that's the right term was did you think there's an element and again like I think if I was put in that position my, one of my biggest fears would be uh if it caused me a problem you know and I was found dead in a ditch what yeah. that would leave and that kind of scared maybe of taking them because i don't you know great i could be flying but also they could i look as a, as a youngster going out with lads and doing recreational stuff which i never bothered one well, didn't ever do and i think my biggest fear of probably not doing them one i wasn't that forced but it was i don't want to be found dead in the ditch yeah yeah um i mean th there is that side of it i suppose that side never really bothered me to be honest with you but weirdly but a lot of yeah i never really think of things it, that'll kill me <laughs> <laughs> that's what hamilton so tyler hamilton for those that don't know he was one of armstrong's teammates for a while and he was kind of one of the one of the big names that initially came out about it and broke broke the silence really and he talked he he the reason he got first disqualified or caught a positive test was he was blood open and yeah. they put the wrong blood in him so they took his blood out and another few cyclists and then when they had to put the blood back in halfway through a tour they, they stuck someone else's blood in which is a horrifying thought yeah isn't it? oh yeah so you don't know what's in it definitely and uh yeah they found someone else's blood cells in him so yeah, yeah that and when it when i when i was listening to that i just thought i wonder if that you know that's some people's thought process of they're just scared of the outcome so well, yeah maybe when you're younger i don't know you're less i suppose but the you're scared of the outcome as but there's two outcomes. So, like you say, you know, you've done everything you can to become a good bike rider, yeah. the best bike rider in the world, basically. So your outcome is, I've gotten this far. So if I if I don't do what everyone else is doing, then my outcome is I go back to doing something I hate yeah. and I'm unemployed, basically. Yeah. So that's where I kind of get both sides of it. Um, like I had, I've, I had Russian teammates. So what have they got? You know, at that time. They had nothing to go back to, so they had terrible living conditions. Family life was awful, so I kind of get it, really. Yeah. <clears throat> I understand why some of them did it. Um, I couldn't have done it. I think my mum was my biggest thing. So getting telling off. Yeah, there's no way that I could have faced my mum if I'd ever done it. Just oh. and that's just my upbringing, basically. So I think that's kind of where that situation lies with with a lot of people i think a lot of it ties back to your upbringing and you know what what what's what you've learned to be right and, and what's mm. wrong sort of thing and and that's that has to be something that's strong within within you and that's the only thing that can make you choose the right or the wrong yeah because again hamilton was he, he talks very similar although again absolutely no idea but he talks about a strong upbringing he was very he knew what was right and wrong yeah but he was just so immersed and he was 
wouldn't say a step further on in in regard to yourself, but he was he was just about to get picked for the tour, so he's very very close. And it was that that day they knocked on his door and said, basically, take this little red pill. It'll make you feel a lot better. Yeah, it'll help you recover. He was a lot and, further on than me. He was a lot better than I was. And yeah, and you just crossed <laughs> that line. So you've raced against him as well. I have said. raced against him. Yeah. What year, year was that, or where was that? Uh, well, I've raced against him for a few years. So he was he was racing in America the year I was racing there, and then he was racing. Um, the year then I was in Belgium, he was in Belgium. Um, and then sort of when I kind of stopped racing in Europe, I kind of stopped altogether for a little while. And then I restarted racing back in the UK and was pro then in the for the rest of the time I was racing properly in a UK pro team. So he'd ridden the Tour of Britain a few times that I'd done it then as well. So mm-hmm. so when you came back from Europe, so that would be, what would that be, 97, 96, 97? No, I came back in, uh, so I did... 96, 97, 98 in Europe, and then mm. after that, that was it. I, I remember 97, you probably don't remember more because it's a highlight of the small bit of cycling I did when I went to the Island Games in 97. I remember traveling down there, and you were coming straight from Belgium. Right. And arrived, and uh, I think you just wiped the floor with everyone <laughs> and went back. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, f- funny enough, we have not talked about the Island Games, so talk about the Island Games. I, I presume you've probably got the most medals on the Island for the Island Games. I, I know, I know, I, I did have, and I'm terrible on stats, oh. and I do get asked these things all the time. John, what is the best one? He asks yeah. me all about the stats all the time, and I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, do you know how many you've been to? I uh, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been so. I know the first ones I did were 87 in Guernsey, um, and then the last time I competed was, oh no. I'll stump myself now. When was the last ones I actually rode? Bermuda, I think. Okay. So that's the ones, the last ones I competed in. And then I've been to the ones after that as team manager. Yes. So in between all those competing, you went to a lot of them. I know you. I was there in 95. You weren't there in 95 because you're obviously racing in America at yeah. that time. Uh, so winning one or two medals at, oh yeah, you must be looking at 20th. I just imagine a drawer at home you open up and yeah. just says, Pile Ash, of silverware Ashley's, Ashley's got the numbers. Right. I know I've, I've never, so out of all the ones I did, I think I've done, I've got a funny feeling I've done about 10 of the things or wow. something like that. Something like that. Um, but I never lost a time trial, so that's my kind of claim to fame oh, okay. out of them. So right. anytime I ever rode the time trial, I never lost it. Right. I remember uh, when we rode in, I say rode, hung on the back in Jersey. Uh, the uh, It's funny because I'm terrible with names, but I always remember, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but... Uh, I can't pronounce his name. Ramanick was that his name? Uh, it's uh, R- rhyme. Yeah, yeah. Or, or the big name sort of when I was doing them would have been. Uh, it's, it's that name you're going to say. That's the one. Yeah, not Carla, not Carlos Reese because that's. Yeah, the no, he's the Shetland. Yeah, he's the Tester, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I just remember him because he was from uh, one of the. I used the word Russian islands, but uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the name of the island now. Est- um, not Estonia. Yeah, I can't remember. He'll come back to me. I can't I remember him being strong as a 20 men as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're still a strong nation every time they come to the games. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're kind of a, quite a good group of group of guys. And I, I don't know if they've ever Ranimar. Ranimar is his name, isn't it? Mac Ranimar or something like, that, something like that. Yeah. Um, but they, they'll drive to every island games they do. It doesn't matter where it is. Oh, really? They drive there. Yeah, they just take it. They went in Bermuda, surely. Not so Bermuda. not drive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they did Bermuda, actually. Right. But they'll just launch everything into the back of a van and off they go. It right. takes them about a week to get to the games, usually. Oh, right, right. 
Yeah, hard men. That's what I remember about them. Yeah. So when you finished and you, when you, I was going back to the question I was going to ask before, when you left Europe, did you leave it with a two fingers up, screw this? Yeah. So I, I stopped. So I knew kind of what I was up against. I wasn't doing it and I just could not, I couldn't compete. You know, like, like I said, I could pull off the odd, the odd result here and there. I could finish, I was finishing front group occasionally in some races but it was just it was ridiculous guys weren't even breathing basically mm-hmm. you know you'd be breathing out your ears and they were hardly even breaking a sweat um i think just on that i think going back to the, the thing we were talking i was talking earlier about the 97 tour so 93 this kind of starts to infiltrate lauren finion talks about i think in his book where in 92 91 he's a obviously a very good pro nearly well did he win the tour he certainly yeah. got beaten just by the tour as well and within two years, he was on climbs. People that were he was kicking the ass off were just getting rid of him. Yeah. And this, they talk about the margin of the first and last place in a tour previously. There might be like five percent in time difference between them, and they reckon the EPO gives about a ten percent boost. So you're looking at, you know, if you're five percent better than someone already, you add ten, you're fifteen percent better, which is just yeah. another ballpark. Oh, another. it was, yeah. Um, I mean, this isn't marginal gain drug use. No, it's not this marginal is, yeah. gain. It's big time. Yeah. I, I mean, I know, you know, I know definitely. I, I, I well, I'm kind of calling him a friend. So, he, um, one of my teammates from way back, anyway. So, I, I know he was taking EPO, and he would outright say it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I remember asking him. I says, "What, what is the difference? You know, you tell me." So. I remember him saying, you know, basically imagine yourself trying to go as hard as you can possibly go over the most mountainous route that you can think of. And he says, you can't even hurt yourself. He says, you can just go as hard and hard and even harder and nothing hurts. He says, that's the difference. That's what, and again, we were talking about just before, I was watching a 96 tour with Bjarne Reese, who was quite a big unit back back then for, for a climber and just massive gear rode away from guys on the climb. Doesn't even look like he's breathing. Yeah. Uh, and so. yeah, that I think I was saying that they caught they, his nickname then was like it's called sixty percent. So you've got red blood cell count, which I think for standard kind of around the forty to yeah. And I think the limit is if you if your red count cells over fifty percent, it's something sniffy's going on. And yeah. I think the biological passport maps that I guess over yeah, time does, is that yeah. what that does? Yeah. Yeah. And his was sixty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waking up with you know basically sludge for blood basically. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I know. Uh, well, I won't mention there, but I've heard stories of people where in the night they've been up running up and down stairs trying to yeah. thin the blood, in essence, to stop them having a heart attack. That's it. Yeah. It's just, when it goes back to being scared about taking yeah, drugs, yeah, you're yeah. just like, that, you know, I can even go to sleep thinking I might not wake up. <laughs> and there's obviously many horror stories of young amateurs trying to make it who've died of heart attacks. Well, yeah, I mean, the scary part is, like you say, when, when I was racing there, we were only a small team. Um, we didn't have the luxury of having team doctors and everything else. And, and there was there was people just doing this stuff themselves. They were getting hold of it and just whacking it into themselves, kind of guesstimating how much how much to put in. And there were people just dying. You know, yeah. there was there was a lot of people dying from it. Again, you just you'd have thought as a go- governing body that be. I don't. They know. didn't know. They didn't have. They couldn't detect it then, though. There was no test for no, it. No, but you'd have still thought that have been. They may have been up front because I'd certainly watched inside from back then. Never. Never felt the governing body was saying, we think there's drug use going on. I pretty sure, I don't know whether they can say that type of thing, but yeah, people are dying. These yeah. these irregular things are happening. And yeah. 
the cycling community, the the racers are being quiet about it. But well, even even then, like with the, I'm just still using that example of being in the changing room doing it. If they know what's going on, I know it's easy looking back and telling them to do their job, but, you know, <laughs> go and just random inspections or was anything like that ever happen? Like, you know, some governing body will come in and just check, right, check the bags or, you know, some kind of like... 99, yeah. I think that happened, didn't it? That, that, <laughs> that, that did come in. You know, that's why guys started getting busted, yeah. the, these random kind of room inspections and mm. stuff like that. But, so you go back to your David Miller time and that's what happened to him, basically. Yeah. You know, he, he eventually got busted by getting raided by the police. Um, but that came in much later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> what What I want to track back to two things. I want to track back to ninety two actually, which I didn't know. He was second in the Manx International. Yeah. So that was again back in those days. People slightly older like us will remember Cycle Week, where it was a week long festival really of cycling, and it was a, a very big, big standard, uh, high standard. You know, international teams will come across as well uh, to to race that. So, what do you remember of that in ninety two? Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was great. I, I do remember. I remember that well, actually. So, so that was three laps of the TT course. Three laps of the TT course. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably so. That's probably one of the best days I can ever remember having on my bike. Actually, mm-hmm. so I felt absolutely. Thir- I knew I could win that race when I was riding it. So straight away rolling down from the quarter bridge, I knew I I could win it. And you just—it's just one of those days you feel yeah, yeah. you'll you kind of know both of you yourselves, right? The odd one, you yeah. You just yeah. get these very rare days when you feel absolutely amazing, and they are rare. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's like free EPO. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Imagine that's what it's like, though. You talk about that. Someone explained that EPO experience. I'd imagine it's you, you get, and much like any sports, you get those days where there's just no pain barrier. You can just ride, and yeah. you're so much stronger than normal. Yeah. Sorry. So um, yeah, set out early break went in that race as it always used to do and i just sat back kind of sat with some of the bigger hitters in the in the bunch kind of watching things that were trying to conserve as much as they could possibly conserve um and then we came around third lap and i still felt great on the third third lap and i knew i was gonna i had the legs to hit it hard on the third lap up the up the mountain and i don't think i've ever had since (laughs) i could never say that i could do that again certainly couldn't do it now (laughs) (laughs) um so the break still had i can't remember what the exact gap was it was a decent gap anyway when we we hit the mountain the third time up it um so hit the third time up it hit the gooseneck and it just goes steep around the corner there and i I remember that's that's where i attacked from what was left of the group and i caught everyone that was in the break one by one apart from one guy that was still up the road david horrigan so he was actually a good friend of mine uh from ireland um staying with my auntie as well so there was there was a group of them came over from ireland they were all kind of staying some with my auntie some with me and spread out throughout different houses and whatever so i could still i could see him all the way over the mountain just kind of clawing them back little by little by little and i just did not get him Mm -hmm. i think he still ended up winning it by about 30 seconds in the end and i was i was so disappointed because i just knew i had the legs to get it He'd been in the break, I assume. And he'd been in the it? break. Yeah, right. Really good bike rider. Um, unfortunately, no longer with us. So he, oh, right. he ended up um, committing suicide, oh, right. which is a sad ending to that story. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, it was a very iconic race, you know, and I think the trophy for the internationals, I think it's down in the NSC, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, uh, 
probably one of the or the biggest race that was on the art that you know, we ever used to run on the art man yeah because we had we had the three lapper the two lapper and the one lapper yeah, within yeah. cycling week which was which was like the the big draw at that time wasn't it yeah, really? yeah. i remember trying to do that one lapper that was uh so then just i know we were just moving on in time there but in 97 I, I, we can't skip over because uh, you won the ras yeah and so maybe just give the listeners a description of what that event was first just to give a context of what a result that really was yeah so the ras um it's kind of it was tour of ireland if you like now um so that it's a race that had been on for well a long long time i think it started back in the 40s or something like that um so it, it's probably up until it wasn't on last year so it was like one of the biggest races within the uk and ireland basically mm-hmm. a lot of international teams always used to come over and do it um, so I was still living and racing in Belgium that year and I wasn't even supposed to ride the race. Um, I just had a phone call from a friend of mine and they were looking for a rider <clears throat> to fill in basically because somebody had pulled out of the team. So I said, yeah, sure, I'm not racing that week. I'll come over and do it. So off I went, um, stayed in my friend's apartment sleeping on the floor above a nightclub which was great so i didn't get any sleep for about two nights before the I thing think that's how sky work and uh, <laughs> yeah. work at the moment <laughs> yeah. um so yeah I, I i really went there intentionally just to try and win the points jersey because believe it or not i was sprinting quite well at the time so that that was my intention was to try and just pick off good stage placings and come back with the with the green jersey and got kind of as days were ticking by kind of i wasn't really losing any time anywhere so got to towards the end of the back then it was nine days as well so i got towards the 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 end of the race took the jersey um with about three days to go i think it was um and it was quite close so got the jersey then went into a time trial stage so i had to hold the i was second in the time trial so i held the jersey and then the the last stage finished with a criterium so i was only leading by six seconds going into the last stage and there was time bonuses in this criterium so that's city center kind of racing yeah, criterium. City yeah. criterium so the guy that was lying second on gc he was definitely a faster sprinter than i was so um I had a, a few a few friends within the bunch and they were actually taking the sprints for me so they were <laughs> yeah that's how that's how i, th- I suppose uh favors pay off if you like so yeah, yeah. you know it was, it was a close battle in the end um so I, I pipped i think i got one of the time bonuses and then that sealed the race for me so yeah it was brilliant you know yeah really good feeling to win would that be one of your biggest results <clears throat> it probably, you yeah, it probably is really yeah yeah, yeah. um didn't kind of realize it at the time because i suppose you you're always looking for something something bigger um but yeah you know i still kind of look back at that and really enjoyed enjoyed the race kind of those yellow jerseys in a drawer with your isle of medals somewhere (laughs) that one's actually on the wall actually stuck that one on the wall so (laughs) i remember uh the story i always remember i think the following week i remember reading seeing reading a letter that richard fletcher had written into cycling weekly saying basically why why the f haven't you put anything in your magazine about this about yeah you winning the ras because obviously it was a uk focused magazine primarily yeah. cycling weekly and yeah and then the following week i think it was either as i've sent sent a spread yeah but uh and you in the time trial of a time trial picture that i've still and still picture now 
it looks like you're going up a rise. You've got the little bars that used to clip on. Yeah, I think on that. Spinachi bars. Yeah. Little spinachi bars in your, in your yellow jersey. Yeah, and I always remember this this picture. And I think I had Richard's either letter there or on the following page. It just said, "Look, a British guy's just won this. Can we have a bit more coverage, please?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the time trial was horrible. It finished up um, basically like finishing up something about as steep as Crellins Hill but it was oh, it's called God. the butts the climb and it's about a mile long I think it's horrendous so you got time your effort yeah and to I get there do, and I didn't do that very it. well all oh, right okay <laughs> <laughs> were you always good at time trial and was that uh I suppose it was really it's it's it was strangely it's not part of the sport that I enjoy doing I never have enjoyed doing a time trial just because you, you well you have to hurt yourself so badly to yeah. do it don't you but I could ride I could always ride a good time trial um, but certainly didn't enjoy doing them. Which is, a, as an observer, I wouldn't say a bit of quote because you're a small lat, you know, more of a climber type of stature. Yeah. Typically, test time trialers, testers are usually of a bit of bigger build. Well, they, they are, yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely. So you just had that all round skill. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I keep going back to it, but the way sport has changed, somebody my build now would definitely not be a good time trialist you know it, it's all about the numbers and i just i do not have those num- kind of numbers to, to stick out a good time trial basically now do you mean or do you think if you were now na- now so, if you were uh, 21 now well yeah like na- our time period that we're in now you know era to era sport is always different mm. um which is why you know i never really tried to well you can never compare it somebody from now back to somebody from 1980 yeah, or yeah. whatever it's, you know training methods have changed hugely um science and data now drives you know what people do in sport and you know if you don't have those numbers nowadays basically you don't have the engine in the first place to perform so so on that data and science and back in those that even when you're racing in europe then what was the much science behind or was it just ride bike race ride bike race there was like zero still, still zero, zero even at that level even at, yeah even at the top end there, right. there was yeah there was no science no power right. meters um yeah signs around drug taking that's about <laughs> yeah. it. It, it well i mean it, i suppose it'll give the drug side of it a hard time um definitely if you if if i kind of look at that objectively then I kind of know what was happening then and i and i would say 90 percent of the guys were all doing the same thing so really it was a level playing yeah. playing field in a sense there yeah. was some of us who weren't doing it but you can discount us and everybody else at that top end of it we're all doing the same thing yeah. so still the best guy won really <clears throat> it's like lance armstrong so that this will divide opinion but i still think he's the best tour rider that's ever been basically so all the t- seven tours that he won I highly doubt he was doing anything different than the rest of the guys that were, he was competing against. I think that's his when you listen to him. And for those that haven't seen it, there's a documentary on the BBC, like a three and a half hour one split into a couple of episodes, which kind of plots the whole cycling from his early career through. And, you know, talks to him, but also talks to people that he's also fallen out with that he kind of betrayed. No, well, that there was a lot of fallout from the situation. And I think he strongly believes that that ultimately he trained harder than anyone else, worked harder than anyone else. Everyone else, you look at the results of the the seven he lost. You know, you look at the all majority of the places behind him have all been caught doing drugs. Yeah, doesn't mean the ones that haven't weren't, but so generally, yeah, he was just he was still the best, irrespective of yeah. And, what and, he was and I think that's kind of how, like I say, you know, different eras within different sport, not just cycling but all sports basically. So 
you go back to the 80s guys may have been doing whatever they were doing certainly not the same as it was in the 90s um you know it, it's very difficult to compare different times to, to, to whatever like now nowadays i think i would certainly hope things are very clean like i say it, everything's very scientific guys and girls train so much differently you know it's really scientific um so they are just absolutely on their limits at, at, you know they're, they're on their human performance limits basically doing what they're doing but yeah. the, but that's all it's all monitored so well and people know their bodies so well that that they are just that good you know yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah I, don't, I don't again as an observer I, uh, sadly look someone's often it results in you you feel cynical when you look at them and when kind of someone you know even take the guy won the tour this year not a massive proven track record i'm not implying anything but yeah sadly just haven't gone through that era and he's he's asked questions about drug drug taking and it's a shame because it just casts this shadow over the sport and people's performance and i suppose when you've gone through it, it just leaves this kind of mm, mentality yeah. often when you see stuff that you just hmm <laughs> Because cause you, it's just a distrusting, isn't it? It's just yeah. distrust of the sport, yeah. which is sad, really sad. But that, that's you know that's up to the individual watching the sport, I think. Yeah, oh, um, yeah, that's on me. Don't oh, get yeah, me wrong. Definitely. Yeah, completely, yeah. Um, you know, certainly this year I've watched the tour and I, and I would never have that thought at all. I just, oh, really? I, I really do think every every single one of those riders, they're, they're just, you know, there's so much knowledge and data that's out there these days. Basically, they're they're just like machines you know they, they know exactly what they can do with they know their capabilities basically yeah. you know if you if you look at i'll use Froome as an example basically on the climbs he's he's just staring at his power meter yeah. you know a lot of them don't use that to that extent but some of them you know they know how hard they can ride and they'll hit that limit and they'll just stay there basically. yeah yeah, yeah. But, <clears throat> i'm not but wouldn't the ways of the science behind trying to cheat in whatever way, blood or anything like that, would do you not also think that may have improved as well? That I, don't, I guess that's always the argument is that the science behind cheating is always in head of the science trying to catch the cheating. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I mean, that argument is, is certainly there, <laughs> and you, you know, you you could well be right. I, I, I. I don't know the answer to that one. I, I would, I would definitely think science is trying its best to keep up with what whatever may be out there that people can cheat with. So, and then the one thing that I, I'll always look at, uh, and not just in sports, so people in life in general, basically, if someone is going to cheat, they're going to cheat, basically. So that could be somebody in business, somebody in sport, yeah. people in marriage, whatever it is. You know, if 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 you're, you know. If that's if your view is you're going to cheat and and win at all costs, then whatever walk of life you're in, yeah, that's that's, that's what the reality. Happens yeah. in every form of life, in every form. That's why we have rules, regulations, yes, and, and that, everything else. And that's why you kind of hope, you know, with those rules and regulations and all the testing that is in place, that it is a deterrent to people, yeah. especially nowadays, just because testing is so much better, and it's done so, you know, very regular, basically mm. that in order to cheat you're going to get caught basically you know it would be a massive risk nowadays i would have thought mm. to take that chance it's just you know there's just too many yeah. hoops you'd have to jump through to, yeah. to get away with it it's, it's interesting you mention that about that not having that thought process and i do and i don't believe i have no reason to believe i just 
don't know feel because I've been burnt by it that there's just this cynic at times when you're like hmm not very often but it's just always kind of rumbling there that, and you don't have that having also lived it as well yeah and I've just been an observer of it yeah that you're maybe I was going to say maybe too trusting because that's not fair on the guys who I'm sure aren't and the girls that aren't but yeah just that I have that thought process and yeah that you don't but but then mm. you know like you say that that's everybody's going to have a different view which makes that's that, that's what makes life interesting though doesn't it you know yeah. people's yeah. different views that's what keeps everything kind of going around and, and obviously with what you do now in regard mm. to training and helping people as well you've obviously got a real understanding of data how it's implied how it works how people train how people race and obviously you're, if you're seeing that on the tv playing out you can through your knowledge and experience you can see that well that that pattern works with like you talk about Froome that's someone just working purely to power irrespective of what's happening around him he's focusing on what he needs to do which is something that just probably reaffirms what you do for I suppose your athletes that you train yeah um, I mean like I love the science and sport basically I love the old school method as well because that's what I come from Um, but I but I love and embrace the science that's involved in it as well I always have really so I was I remember I got a power meter basically when power meters very first came out just because I loved 4, it. 4,000 pounds <laughs> weighed a brick yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sold the kidney to get one. <laughs> um, but yeah, really embrace it. And, and I, I, like working with athletes with all that data as well, it just gives you so much, you know, so much to look at. Yeah. So that communication between a, uh, an athlete but also having the data to back it up just builds such a good picture. And like you say, you, you can... You can watch the pattern of these riders that you watch on TV or whatever, and and it kind of makes sense, really, to me anyway. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I the one other thing to go back to the earlier days. I remember hearing this story about you but first to set the scene. I don't know whether anyone's seen the Freddie Flintoff documentary on the BBC called Bulimia. It again, no. It's a really good documentary. Uh, obviously, following his or talking about his struggles with it, which you wouldn't. You, it's not you wouldn't know, but you wouldn't expect. You know, I've spoken to a few people, and they're like, "Really, he does have bulimia." But that, when I, after I was watching that, I was thinking about uh, cycling again. Power to we talk about power to weight, and and weight's such an important thing in cycling. Then it reminded me of the story of, I think when you first arrived in Belgium, you were, and correct where it wasn't wrong, but you were told you were too fat, which I'm sure you weren't. You went on a carrot diet. Yeah. So what's that story? <laughs> well, that that was I was never told I was too fat. Actually, oh, right. I'm I've, I'm always a bit hard on myself. Um, maybe that's part of my upbringing as well um so yeah I'd, I'd done a race i got a really hard time in a race and i i just i just knew i needed to lose a little bit of weight basically so i so i like i said I'd, I'd, I'd done a year racing in america so america has some weird and wacky ideas don't they so so uh a couple so what, of the, what weight were you when you were racing before this uh i think so is there something you been, closely monitored your weight I didn't close closely monitor it, but I did kind of, I suppose, I monitor it enough to to know exactly what I was. Mm. So I was probably two kilos overweight, if you like. Um, so I remember anyway, a couple of guys who I know knew out in the states. So they used to do this carrot diet every year, just to lose, just to shed a little bit of weight. No science behind it. It was just something that they did. <clears throat> so they did it for a week straight, just eating carrots, nothing but carrots and water for a and week. And training. And tr- but really light training. Okay. So anyway, I, I thought, right, I need to lose a bit of weight. I'm doing this. So finished this stage race. So I, I knew I had an easy week anyway. So I did this carrot diet and I did, I lost two kilos. And like I said, 
no science behind it. That could have been two kilos of muscle for all I know. <laughs> um, but the very next race of road was the Ross. So it was 97. I went and did the Ross and won, won it. Right. But that, you know, may not have any link together to whatsoever. <laughs> this I is not medical maybe advice. Maybe I would have won it by <laughs> yeah. three minutes if, yeah. I, if I hadn't had done it. <laughs> yeah. So but this so, isn't medical advice. No, not at me. all. Don't no. do this thing. <laughs> so, but I used to get, after I did this, I remember different people caught wind of it and they were all trying it people at home here and they were trying it and they were doing this crowd diet and um there's a guy called tony paxton they'll stand out in my mind it's always a bit a good guy tony yeah. so he did it anyway and he was nearly passing out he's going to work he was trying to train and he was seeing stars and so i don't think this thing's working <laughs> <laughs> sounds all right for paco doesn't it <laughs> he's a legend uh and was that just then raw, literally raw carrots? You just raw carrots. Peel yep. Whenever you felt hungry, just so eat. I just I would go down to the supermarket. Buy Must have saved a bit of, of money that week, though. Oh yeah, I mean I was always short of money when I was over no, there anyway, no. so just eating carrots was great. <laughs> and didn't go orange. You didn't go. I don't. I don't think I did. No. no. Right. <clears throat> As a diet and a half. I'm not sure that's on there. <laughs> Get a book for that. Yeah. Uh, so so so. Europe finished, kind of two things. I'll oh, screw that. Uh, back to the UK. You mentioned about a bit of a break and then went to racing in the UK. Yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah, I came back from Europe and I was all set to completely stop cycling. I'd had enough of it, basically. I loved Belgium. Like, I, I actually loved living in Belgium, which is maybe, again, really quite strange. Most people don't. Uh, I was actually going to stop racing and I was going to move to Belgium just to live there, basically. Um, so I stopped racing. Um is that as in we were saying racing still on your bike or or was it just off the, I, I would have still rode my bike because I just love riding my yeah. bike but racing was done so like I said all I wanted to be was a pro bike rider I'd kind of got to as far as I was ever going to go with it and really I wasn't interested in, in racing in any other form from there at that time um, so I came back I'd, I'd met I'd only just met Ashley at that time so I moved um, I'd moved in with her in Ireland um, and I think I, I had I had eight weeks where I did not touch a bike at all and I was driving I don't like I said we'd only just met moved in together and I was driving her nuts basically <laughs> <laughs> so um, she's like get out on your bike yeah get out of here will you so uh, I started riding my bike again um, remember the first time I went out I just felt abs the worst I've probably ever felt in a bike in my life got a cramp and all sorts and I probably did about five miles <laughs> Um, and then just carry, carried on. I, I was never in, I was never going to race again. All I was doing was just riding my bike for fitness and just something to do. When you came back to Ireland, did you tell people why it wasn't going to work out? Um, yeah, I mean, only really people that were really close to me. I mean, I'd, I'm probably still the same now. I don't really kind of let much out that's unless it's somebody who i'm quite comfortable yeah. with i suppose this is probably the most i've ever kind of mentioned to it about any of this stuff um so yeah a few people would have known but not very many still to this day probably not very many people know that i even raced in belgium so. yeah, yeah no sorry yeah you're saying you're back out on the bike sorry i just wondered that coming back that yeah just that th that process of yeah, but there was anger in there as well. Or going, you know, f, f this, f them, and this is why. There, there was anger, yeah, um, and there was always a what if. I mean, that what if has only just 
gone away probably in about the last five years to be honest right. with you because the what if was always what if i had done it mm. you know when you see all these guys were writing books and making good money out of it and my biggest gripe is seeing guys commentating who i know who've done it and they're still making careers out of the sport basically yeah <clears throat> but do you not i mean it's a good point because again some of the guy and armstrong talks about that he's he's getting more let's say more accepted now i think he's a he's a guest uh, presenter on some of the nbc stuff and obviously he's, he's got his own way through his own podcast to get his, his voice out there but he's starting but one of his gripes is i've got vilified here appreciating he was by his own words probably a bully and because he was at the top of the tree he probably fell the furthest yeah but he talks about the wrong of this this world etc getting that but you, you know at the same time to take your comment before about they were, they were just in that world and it was just what they what what happened so yeah what why why be angry with them now for just trying to f- get a living well yeah i mean why why would i be angry at them you well mean? yeah and angry yeah. is maybe not quite the right word but well there was some anger yeah um yeah i suppose i was never angry at them i was kind of i was just always i never i never finished my story if you like so i never knew what i could do mm. within the sport so that was always like say if you finish doing something you like to do it to the mm. to the end of what your capabilities are and then you leave it yeah. and you're happy you've got no regrets and no what ifs basically so i got to the end of my pro cycling career and i don't have that well that's as good as i was and that's it and i still I could still say now I have what ifs where I probably do, but it doesn't bother me anymore. But like I say, that's only recently that I don't have that now. I'm sure they've got what ifs. I'd have guessed what happens if I hadn't taken yeah. it. What happens if I wouldn't have let my family down? Well, that, the big, the biggest thing I've got, I've got two boys, you know, two kids. So I have no problem. Yeah. I have no issues talking to them. I don't have to lie to them. So yeah, yeah. that's yeah, exactly. that's my thing with them. How do they face their families, basically? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's what I would never have been able to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> It's such a fine line, isn't it? It's just on on choices that, yeah. Especially if you're living again, living away. You know, perhaps you haven't got much influences around. You have to be very strong, especially when you're chasing your dream. Yeah, so strong. Yeah, so strong. Uh, sorry. So yeah. So you start start riding a bit more in the back on the island, and when you say you're probably anywhere five mile and get cramp, I don't believe that <laughs> <laughs> to the slightest. Well, but, that one was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. Started riding again just for you know general fitness, health and fitness kind of. So, living in Ireland at the time with Ashley, um, and then we moved back to the island. Um, just it was at the at the time it was cheaper to live on the Isle of Man basically than living in Dublin. Probably still is, I'm sure. Um, so I came back here, started doing the local races just for a bit of fun, um, and then I kind of started really enjoying doing the racing again. Really, so I was doing local races, went away on a few trips with the guys to do like Tour of Ulster and stuff like that. But again, it was only ever really for a bit of fun, more for the trip than the race. But realized I was going well, but not really by trying to go well, if you you like. So then kind of put more effort into it, got asked to ride for um, Pinarello pro team, so Phil Griffiths at the time. so I thought, ah, why not? I'll, I'll give this another go. And then... Um, was and that, that was paid, paid as well? Was that paid? So that, well, it was UK pro team at the time. So when you say paid, yeah, again, Expenses. not great. Yeah. <laughs> compared compared to now, dribs and drabs, but nothing amazing. Um, and then work in between. Yeah. Doing I, a bit I, of work I, with well, I, that's, that's the thing. So when I was racing, I think I did 
six or seven years racing with the UK pro team. But I worked that whole time as well, strangely. So I was working. Then I was working again with my dad. So I came back from Belgium, went back working with my dad, fitting alarms and security cameras and all that sort of thing. So I was doing that in the day, going training and then trying to race as a, as a, as a UK pro. And I, and I could actually do it. And, and when I look back at that, I kind of think I was a bit stupid there, really, because I should have just knocked two years on the head and said, right, I'll go full on at this. Because I, I got an offer to ride for on post as well. So the Sean Kelly team. And I actually, I wasn't interested in going back to Europe again. So I turned that down. I just mm. said, nah, not interested in it. Thanks. But I, I suppose I could have done that where and just quit my job for two years and maybe had another crack at seeing where that might go. Um, and but what was, what was the reason for saying no? Is that not wanting to go back into that world uh, again? I knew, I knew that world was not as bad at that time because definitely things had cleaned up mm. um but we i just our two boys they were um, uh, maybe two years old or something like that mm. at the time and you know life had changed mm. that that part of my life was done i wasn't really in you know i wasn't that fussed about being a pro bike rider anymore yeah. really although i was in a sense a pro bike rider in the uk but i didn't see that as in my own mind, I don't see that as being a pro bike rider. I still don't, to be honest, and that don't mean offence to, to anybody who is a pro rider in the UK. But it's not it's not the same as being a pro, full on pro yeah, pro I mean, rider. Ultimately, it's a stepping stone, really, isn't it, to people's onward goal of becoming a pro pro. Yeah, it's a stepping stone. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. Doesn't make it so bad. that that's yeah. how I seen it for me. You know, I was I was doing it, although I was classed as a as a pro on a, on a UK team. Mm. Um, you know, I was doing it. It was, it was more for pleasure, really, yeah. and I and I and I enjoy the challenge. So that's that's one of my biggest reasons about doing the sport, if you like, is, is just that challenge. You know, pushing yourself, seeing what you can do, seeing what your body can do, mm. um, and and that's and, what. It, and those those days on on the UK team, I think Pamiers were starting to appear around that time. Would you say? I'm thinking like yeah. this is early two thousand. That was the Armstrong era, and he was kind of bringing that into the sport from what i recall well not bringing in but he was using that kind of outside of everything else he's using yeah bringing that in that that kind of stuff into it is that yeah. when you start to use that type of data or yeah, get that type of data definitely yeah there's, there's you know there's definitely more parameters being used um training definitely was becoming far more scientific so you know training was structured then it wasn't just a matter of going out and riding your bike you would go out and you would do you would work with a coach or you would do your own kind of structured program yourself and 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 it's you know obviously it stayed like that ever since um even more so now do you have a coach back then i did actually so when i was racing then so when i came back to the uk to race i mm. actually did get a coach and 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 for me that helped um just because basically i had this i i had structure to work with so i didn't have to think about it um i probably could have done my own but i'd rather have because mm. i was concentrating on the race and somebody else kind of worried about the the coaching aspect of it, yeah, yeah. And, and, it and, I, and I actually liked it and and to just <clears throat> again step back a little bit when uh so in 98 i think it was festina the festina affair which was team in the tour so we talked about the doping earlier and going on uh, the cars got raided they found a load of epo when you'd obviously left the the european scene by then what what was your view when that was happening had not had a call with you but yeah i knew the, the not i knew this even would happen what were you thought oh here's an opportunity for the sport to clean up what was the yeah i mean 
I suppose, yeah, if I look back at that, you know, it, it's only good things, really. You know, you, you kind of think, well, it's great that, yeah, <laughs> great that the, the sport is catching up with what's going on. And, you know, and they're trying to eradicate uh, all, all the, the badness within it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly did. From from then to where we are now, It ha- I think it's cleaned up a hell of a mm, lot, really. For sure. Definitely. I think and, it, and that's great, you know, if you look back, to even then so youngsters coming into the sport in 98 99 2000 at least you could kind of be more comfortable with them going to teams and thinking okay well they're you know they, they will get looked after yeah <clears throat> certainly looking at uh okay he's no reference not he's no reference point but when you look at armstrong and he talks about using it through he won it from 99 to 05 maybe yeah well i got the impression or i get the impression as an observer of the sport that kind of 05 that it was really, really clamped down on. You know, they'd found a test for EPO, uh, although you could still microdose, I believe, and, and get away with it. But uh, there was this flattening uh, of that abuse. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think because it was again because EPO was such a massive boost, it was so noticeable. Again, <laughs> I, I was watching something earlier, and it was saying in so ninety eight the bus Festina they kicked them out. A few other teams got sent home and kicked out. And then the following year, there's commentary when Armstrong was this new era, they called it, into, comes into cycling, post-drugs. Yet the whole tour was faster than the previous year yeah. where everyone had been yeah. on drugs. And it's only really, I'm sure that people <laughs> thought about it at the time, but in hindsight, you're like, yeah, how naive were we all really? Well, yeah. Uh, but then if you look at that, so like the speed of racing, so go back to Armstrong's time, basically. They're going faster now, mm. but... For sure, it's clean because the training methods have changed. Yeah, so yeah. the way they were training then, yes, they were doing structured stuff, but now everything is absolutely, yeah. you know, thought out to the absolute the, precision measurement, basically, and and the training is, is meticulous, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I think looking back in '99, <clears throat> I think I suppose there probably was chat about uh, about that, and I think it was justified. Partly the rationale were he was very structured around what he did. He was very focused. It was very, you know, he was looking at aerodynamics a lot more than yeah. that was the start of what we see now, really. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose it was used as a rationale for why things were going quicker, which maybe that, well, I'm sure that was part of the reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So in uh, racing in the UK, results that kind of stand out during that period for you? Uh, well, racing it's a quiz in the UK. as well, because I've got some notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> You might have all my results then because I never remember them. <laughs> so, well, I suppose the thing I liked about racing in the UK, so racing for Phil Griffiths, he was he was a good guy, probably, I'm sure still is. I haven't been in touch with him for a little while. Um, but the team I was with, so I was raced with Russ Downing for a number of years, Malcolm Elliott for a number of years, all on the same team. So both really good riders. Um, and I enjoyed more so riding for i rode for russ quite a lot so he could win races he could sprint he could do pretty much anything in the uk scene um and i you know loved doing that if i could help him win a race that i'd be happier doing that than me trying to win a race basically but that's that's like pro cycling you know it's not an individual sport it is a team sport so i was better suited to riding to help somebody else win a race than me try to win a race because yeah, right. i could maybe finish fifth or sixth but he could win so we're better off trying to make him win right and during that time in the uk would you always 
we talked about the Ireland games earlier, would you always try and work with the UK guys, say, look, I really like, want to race for the Isle of Man these, this week I need free. Was that always a driver for you? Yeah, I suppose that's one of the beauties I had on that team. I did have uh, flexibility within them. So stuff like that, you know, if I said I wanted to do the Ireland games, they were fine with it, right. really. So long as it didn't clash with anything too Major. big, which it never really did, then I was always okay. So looking here, like results, sort of 04, 05, Tour of Munster, Tour of Art, Tour of Ulster, those type of memories, third on stage one. Uh, the Gervin, is it Gervin, three-day? Oh, yeah. I think that was a premier race, wasn't it? Yeah. So your closest win to, uh, do you want to talk through your closest? So I think, I believe, pre- winning a premier calendar, which is the top elite UK series, that was one of your ambitions. And yeah. you got very close in one of them. What happened at the end of that particular event? Uh that's probably the archer, is it? Is that what uh, you know, no, I was thinking this is it called Sickly, uh, where you have oh, a slow puncher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. the Sickly Classic, that's the one with the off-road sections. Right. Yeah, so that, again, that was that was one of those days where everything felt spot on. Thought, yeah, I can win this. It felt good. I was actually riding for the Isle of Man that year. And I think, was that the same year Cav Road? I'm trying to think now. Possibly the same year Cav Road. Um, anyways, so... <clears throat> uh yeah felt great had some it was the first year that race was ran and they they ran it on some absolutely horrendous off-road sections i mean you you really needed a mountain bike they weren't suitable <laughs> for a road bike they has changed slightly they've taken some of the sections out um but it's it's a great race basically you you know you're racing i suppose on what you would use a gravel bike nowadays on you know just beating up lanes farm tracks through farm fields right. still use it today it's one of the best races in the uk for sure still um so anyway getting towards the finish of that and again i was sprinting well that year and i thought I, I'll, I'll win this in a sprint that's you know i was confident enough to, th- to think that in, in my own head basically so went for it in the sprint had a slow puncture but it didn't i didn't realize that the puncture was quite as bad as it was so <laughs> went into the last corner and the back tire just squelched into the ground and if, if you ever watch a high side in a motorbike race that's basically what i did right. so just high sided off the bike and absolutely came <laughs> crashing down smashed my collarbone and that was that done and I, and I could just you know as i'm sprinting i could see myself winning the race and then next thing i know i'm lying on the floor yeah, right. getting stretched off did you say you bust your collarbone yeah, yeah right. so one one of six times that i've done it yes. oh right okay right is this why you made to a cow because you can relate to your collarbone breaking yeah, incidents? Probably, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you mentioned the archer there and what was that one uh yeah another another sort of close call in a premiere if you like um so in the break all day long um and then i wasn't feeling great actually so i, I was i was flagging at the end but the whole break was and I, I attacked on the run in so probably about maybe six or seven miles from the finish got away had a good gap and, and you hit this little drag probably maybe two miles before the finish hit this little drag and all of a sudden my legs just went bang <laughs> and uh i got caught again by the rest of the break and then hung on eventually finished uh a second or was i third second or third that's how third. good i am at yeah, third. Yeah. third reading on here is third yeah so third um and the funny thing is so the two the two team managers um who were following behind so pinarello at the time and uh P- plowman craven plowman craven so the 
my team manager and his team manager apparently had a quite a substantial bet on who's going to win this race oh, following, right. following behind and i ended up losing the race blaming you yeah <laughs> and uh when you look back at because uh, again just looking through the results here every two years the island games are appearing you've been to well many years so looking from a competitor side of point well two questions i suppose from a competitor now to uh to a team manager what gives you more satisfaction and then certainly in racing wise what's your favorite you know have you got a favorite memory from those years uh well yeah regards what gives me more satisfaction definitely um coaching or, right. or team manager now for sure um i get even if i compare it to what i was doing when i was racing i think now i've got i far prefer seeing athletes who i coach achieve their goals if you like i get i get more out of that than i ever did out of a race i think i could never when i was racing i could never accept um achievement even if i achieved something good i'd i'd never kind of accept it mm. but now if i if i watch somebody else do it i think you can pat yourself it, on the back oh well the, for your work them, really i, yeah, I right. love seeing them achieve what they want to achieve and just the excitement that they get out of it and i feel why couldn't you pat yourself on the back so no, I'm I'm still like that now. If I achieve right. something now, I I just don't really, don't know. I don't I can't, I don't have an answer for that. Mm. I, I don't I I can't really. I find it hard giving myself praise if you like. Um, but seeing somebody else achieve, massive praise for them. Love love seeing that. And um, so yeah, yeah, definitely coaching gives me far far greater. Uh, and mem- memory wise, from racing <clears throat> the Island Games. Uh, you, I, I take you've been a flag bearer at the island. I have, yeah. yeah. I've been flag bearer for the island games. Uh, flag bearer for the Commonwealth Games once as well. So island games, jeez, uh, that's a tricky one actually. So many memories. That's the I problem. Know, yeah. So I many think, gold medals. Um, Gotland was probably one of the ones I remember quite well. Right. That would be. Is that because the beer was so expensive? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so, so I'm glad you mentioned the flag bearer. So went to the Commonwealth Games in Delhi, which we were just saying before we came on air, we're recording this in October now, uh, that it was 10 years ago, which probably is a shocking amount of time yeah, gone gone so quickly. So what do you remember about that? I mean, looking back, nor, not normally, but as an Ireland team, we'll go to the Games and, you know, the idea is to get the experience and, you know, medals aren't always, they are more so in cycling, I guess, but you go there with Cav, who's now on the world scene, how was that? I mean, how was that experience? One for yourself, and then, and you, you're tasked with a job to, yeah. You know. Um, well, Commonwealth Games. I've, well, I've done seven Commonwealth Games. Right. <laughs> so if you go back to Delhi, I mean Delhi, Cab. Cab well, go back Delhi. to them all. Yeah, by all means. Um, well, I'll, I'll go into Delhi. Um, obviously, we had Cab on the team, and Cab was, you know, one of the, as he always is, one of the one of the big hitters in the race, and we we were definitely objective of the of the race was to get him over the line first basically and being of the course the way it was it was pan flat totally made for him to win it um and as i say cycling is a team sport um and you know we so cav kind of laid out the game plan he wanted us to just to ride so if you, you know you watch whatever they do on the television basically they're riding on the front and you know protecting cab basically trying yeah. to get him to the to the end of the race so he convinced us that we were strong enough to ride on the front for him 
I knew that we weren't. Right. <laughs> and we, we rode ourselves into a box, basically. And everybody on that team rode absolutely amazing, I have to say. We did we did do the best job that we were possibly able to do for them. You know, we, we, we did ride brilliantly. Everybody did that day. And, and we got them as far as we basically could. We just could not get them to the finish line, basically, yeah, yeah. to win it. But, but you know, that's, that's just racing. You know, we, we weren't a world tour team. We were... We were a team with guys who were racing on the Isle of Man for a start. Never ride, you know, they weren't pro bike riders. <coughs> so we were up against, you know, yeah, world that, tour that, riders. Yeah, that. I mean, hmm. but, I've but, been one of the Island Games level riders, good, good Island Games riders. And yeah, yeah you ask I, them to control a race with, not necessarily even like trying to control it full cap, but then you look at the other home nations of, I don't know whether Gareth Thomas was there, but, you know, the Welsh got teams like that. The, yeah. the British have, you know, world, a number of world class athletes, Australia. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's you can understand it. But but having somebody like Cav on the team and, and put him putting his faith yeah. in in us and, and the other guys, that's great because you know the, they love that and we love it. You know, you're you're riding for the for the best bike rider in the world, and he's asking you to do a job for him. Yeah. Then you know what what better thing is there no, as a bike rider? Absolutely. And even I know towards the end of that race is ten years ago now, watching it on TV and. I mean, Cav was ultimately there towards the end. I think a few guys got away, if I recall. Yeah, there's, there's and obviously, a few... as soon as they get rid of him, everyone's working because they haven't got. The, they don't want to drag him to the finish. That's it. You know, once he was on his own, we were all used up. Then you know, they they just keep attacking him basically because yeah. they know he's the fastest guy in the race. So they're going to do all they can to, to not have him there at the finish, basically. What time of day was it run? Because mm. I a collection obviously top down there. Was it? Did they run at a sensible time? Um, I think it was kind of midday. Oh, it was right in the middle of the day. It was it was hot. <laughs> so, yeah, so a load of load of Manxies getting their skin burnt as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what about other uh, Commonwealth experiences? Uh well well my best ones, like you say, you well use Cavs as an example. So I've been lucky enough to have Cav as a teammate on a on a few occasions in the Commonwealth Games. Uh, Melbourne was another really good one. So Cav again riding. Um and I was able to stay with them there pretty much up till the death i was able to stay with them up until the last lap um and and again when you've got him there all, all, all you're doing is riding for him that's it there's no questions asked and you're I, getting bottles you're making sure he's got enough food. whatever he wants yeah. that's what you're going to do for yeah, him basically yeah. and but that's what i love doing you know if he'd uh, if he'd have asked you know sit on the front and ride for 50k until your lights absolutely go bang then that's what you're going to do yeah, basically yeah. um but to have that opportunity and to have somebody at that level put his faith in, in you as a team, then you yeah, know, like yeah. I said, that that's that's as, as good as it gets, basically. What year was that? Was from Melbourne? Ninety eight. Uh, was it? Ni- no, it wasn't ninety eight. Uh, Melbourne was two thousand and six, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he'd have. So I think he was still. He was, was still kind of newer then. Um, I think that was just before he went to high road i'm okay. pretty sure it was the year before so i think he ended up fifth in those games right. so there was again a little group just clipped away um and then he i think he was second in the bunch sprint right and it reminded me we're just talking <laughs> about cab there and obviously his uh his track experience is a track that ever you've ever beaten racing on a track have you ever done track racing i have yeah i actually rode the commonwealth games on the track oh, right okay yeah, um so the so again, for listeners, obviously they know what the track racing is, but it is a, is a different sport in many ways. It, There's well, obviously it is, similarities, yeah. but the yeah. racing style is so much different. Yeah, um, so it's not just something that you just flick on a 
you know, jump on another bike. There's well, that's what I did basically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you no way would you be able to do that nowadays. So it was the Commonwealth Games in Canada, so in Victoria. Um, so we were there. I was riding the road race, and the we didn't know. We, so just the road race because we didn't have enough riders to do the team time trial at the time. So because we were there, I thought I'll tell you what, I'll do the track. Let's just just jump on the track and have give that a go. So I did the points race and the scratch race. Didn't even do the training sessions. I just did the <laughs> races. Bring <laughs> yourself. Don't stop pedaling. Don't stop pedaling. Yeah, borrowed somebody's track bike. Did both of them. <laughs> Didn't get dropped. They stayed in in the groups. Um, but yeah, not not something. Definitely would not get away with doing that these days. It's yeah. so specialized. Yeah, like yeah. even even the the distance races on the track is just massively specialized. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, did, I didn't even know what I was doing anyway. I was lucky I, to be going around the right way. <laughs> <laughs> That's why when you look like look at the skills of uh, from like Wiggins, where he's come from a track, and Thomas, those guys that have done track stuff that then go on the road, and sometimes they're going back to the track in the winter. I know Cav's done that a few times. The ability to do that, even for a top athlete, is I think until you've, I've never done the track, but just to know the difference. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's probably from like running you know 1500 meters to becoming a 400 meter runner i think so i think three it, months I th- later i think that gap's getting even bigger now mm. i think it's becoming so, so specialized i think yeah. you could probably compare it to being like a marathon runner to a 400 meter runner say probably the nearest that i've seen being able to do it recently viviani who yeah certainly two winters ago was yeah good on the road and very good on the track yeah but yeah there's not many guys that can con- constantly do both uh so what you mentioned about racing in the UK for many years what was there a point where you kind of just had your time and it was time to yeah to um, not, sp- not grind but just it's time to move on now yeah I just wasn't getting excited about racing right. anymore um, you know I'd, I'd go to well even you know I rode the I think the, the year I knew I wasn't really going to go any further I rode the Tour of Britain and I rode the Tour of Ireland um and I'd get, I couldn't even get nervous anymore. Basically, I could roll up to to big races, um, and I would have. Do you think you need to be nervous? A good nervous, yes. Okay. But not a nerves to to mm. to your detriment, so that you're kind of falling apart. You know, you, just that kind of nerves to kind of put you on edge a little bit and kind of just get the adrenaline going. That's that's a a good sense, and that's the well, there's a full kind of spectrum to that, isn't there? So. Um, but I wasn't even getting that. I was just kind of going through the motions and just, yeah, kind of had seen, you know, seen my day in the racing end of it. Plus, you know, I wasn't kind of 20, 20 years old anymore either. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I was, I was in, I was in bunches. Everybody around me was like 19, 20 years old, 21. I was, I stopped. So, uh, Glasgow Commonwealth Games was my last proper, proper race. So that was what, 2000 and... 14 so that was one where pete was away yeah Yeah. so 2014 i was well how old was i then 14 is that right no i'm 40 six years ago yeah six off off whatever you are now i'm 48 now yeah it's 42 yeah 41 42 42. so yeah you know i felt like i was racing against juniors basically it just felt a bit strange so yeah I, I just had enough of it <clears throat> would you consider that your last obviously you still race locally but last 
competitive race. Yeah. So yeah. the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, I would class as the last time I comp- raced competitively. Yeah. Um, the ones I do locally, for, for sure, I still, you know. Yeah, well, that was one of my comments. We had uh, the, the closed circuit champs a few weeks ago, and uh, you were second in that. Yeah. Behind, you know, a young lad now who's an, ex- an amazing talent. Yeah. And the field full of talented riders. Uh, when you look at a situation like that, do you believe... Because it it's not always about the strongest person wins. Do you think that you know that's racecraft that gets you to that kind of position? That purely was racecraft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I only say it because one of the lads I was chatting to after he, he said they'd not seen your race, and then it literally said he went through my mind. I've not seen Rochi up this whole race. I'm going to see him in a minute. And next thing, you're up the road with someone else. Yeah. And yeah, that's just, uh, I guess, many many years. And I, you know, I haven't raced. I haven't professed to have a lot of racecraft, but you see newer people in the sport so much craft to it that you can get away with yeah. not being as fit as you potentially need to be well exactly to, to, I mean I, I suppose throughout my whole racing career I've had to rely more so on race craft than, okay. than, than pure talent I'm not I'm not that strong you know my, my power numbers are not anything exceptional I'm not you know I'm not a powerful kind of guy mm. really I, I suppose I used to be able to go up a hill quite quick definitely couldn't do that now so even local races like I'm, I'm on my limit so I'm That's good to hear. I'm definitely trying. And and because I put a number on, even though I say I do them for fun, if I put a number on, I'm still giving it all mm. I can kind of Elbows are out. Oh, yeah, you go. I'm going for it. Yeah, yeah. But, it. But at the same time, there's no pressure. So if you win it or finish last, it doesn't... Yeah, you're not going to keep you awake <laughs> at night. To, to go back to the... I meant to ask when I was just... I got sidetracked by the carrot story, but the, but the, the bulimia thing got me thinking then also about the power to weight and this constant... And again, when you when you watch the documentary, he's struggling internally in his head with his weight and, and his mechanisms to try and keep control of that uh, or control it within his head. I guess cycling, because it's more and more so about a weight thing. I mean, one, have you ever struggled I mean, outside of the carrot thing, but was that something that's looking back that maybe influenced your behavior to keep weight down? And, and you see that as a battle with youngsters and you've seen, and we'll come on to the, the many generations that, or the gen, couple of generations that you've seen come through now and go on to be pro. Have you seen that as a not an issue, but just a, a battle that people have? Yeah, um, I, I suppose I've seen it in others. I'm I'm lucky enough, if if you like, that I never really had that issue. I don't. I've never had a problem with my weight really. Like I said, I did the carrot diet thing once, but yeah, that's yeah. just kind of some wacky. But yeah, but it's not dominating you. It's never, it's never daily dominated thought process. Of, I can't eat this, can't eat that. No, I've kind of always eaten what I would consider quite healthy, uh, and my weight has always kind of pretty much stayed constant. Even now, I'm probably the same weight now, within a kilo or so that mm-hmm. I used to be when I was racing. Um, but that, I'm just extremely lucky in that, and kind of I know that. Um, but I have seen it definitely in others where they all obsess about their weight, definitely with, with younger riders. Um, and I think that's just the culture that they're in, really, which yeah. is not really, well, it's definitely not a healthy environment to be in. And it must be a fine balance, whether they're <clears throat> say athletes you're training, but dealing with or, or chatting to or mentoring that numbers are so important now to, to it that that kilo does change that number. So you can understand why. It become you know I think about my weight at times when it's not remotely important in the scheme of things. I <laughs> yeah. don't even do anything in other than enjoy cycling. But I don't know whether you're the same, Matty. It's it's a thought process that's probably too common in my head for yeah, just no. someone who's doing it for a hobby. Yeah, definitely. so I think someone uh, who's doing it full time or I, or you know has got goals that it can become an obsessive issue. Yeah. No, I I agree. I see it 
on my favorite swift mm-hmm. you know i say everything's number based everything like that yeah. you know uh, <clears throat> especially when it comes into silly like algorithms and you want to try and get a, a one k. I know you can relate it to the server. You're trying to get one k, two k. So your numbers a little lower, so your powers can go. So the power, the numbers look better. And mm-hmm. I've seen and heard lots of people on in that, on that side that have just been far too to the, their detriment concerned. Yeah, it does feel like the spot like cycling is is a real head f of a game. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, definitely. I'm sure a lot of sports are. I'm sure yeah. most of them are. Yeah. But, the, you know, uh, as as I'm sure, like you say, every sport, you know, the 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 mental aspect of it is probably far outweighs the physical physical aspect of it, um, definitely. And it's a question I was going to ask early when you were talking about attacking in that race. When you raced, are you were you uh, could you talk you talked about being in the mindset I can win this? Was there many a racing where it'd be the opposite, and you'd have? I, and again, we talked about it in others podcasts about mental health. I'm not saying. It, necessarily mental health but that internal battle did you yep. have that because again as an outsider you've always whenever i've seen you race or race it's just this unflustered calm super strong guy that seems to not have any lacking confidence but was there that during your career oh yeah i mean yeah i've, I've definitely had lacking confidence um i suppose if if i had to kind of run through what goes in my head in a race i'm i'd probably uh well that will have changed a lot so definitely earlier than confidence would have been a big one but that's quite normal you know when you're younger then i think most people would generally think geez i'm up against it here look at all these good guys that are around me and you as you mature you kind of grow to to know how to deal with that if you like um so definitely latter years or even now if i if i do an event I'm I'm brutal with myself in my own head. Like right. I'm kicking my ass in my head, basically. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm you know telling myself to go faster and and why am I you know why are you struggling? You shouldn't be struggling. Why did I miss that? So if you was a break up the road, would you be in your head? I'm I've missed that. I'm punishing yourself in your head. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. It's not just me. That, yeah. <laughs> not that I could have gone with it, but that that. Well, yeah. That, you I miss mean, a break or you miss a split, and it's just. You only need a momentary lapse in, in concentration or thought, or I'll give it a second and suddenly it's gone. Yeah, and you just. But but that's that's kind of the part of the sport that I like. I like that kind of uncertainty in the sport. That kind of getting the tactical yeah. decisions, like really quick thinking. You know, even our local races, there's there's a lot of moves going backwards and forth, attacks going here and there, and it's kind of weighing all that up within your head and quick. Yeah, quick, quick thinking, decisions. You know, quick decisions and. and and trying to choose the right one if you like but but i love that part of the sport that's kind of that's the raw part of it yeah which you don't really see in pro racing nowadays if, if you watch it on television it's all kind of getting dictated through radios and yeah. what have you but yeah. that just somebody says i'll tell you what i feel good i'm going to attack you it may make absolutely zero sense whatsoever with <laughs> but they've just felt good and they're going and, yeah, and yeah. that's that's kind of great to see it does feel a bit more. I mean, we watched the World Champs a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm sure Anna Philippe had an idea where he was going to attack, but it did feel fairly, fairly raw. Yeah, I think the worlds know? is one of those exceptions where it, it, small it teams kind of is, and the dynamics of it. Yeah, they're not riding with their normal trade teams, mm. so their director, they may hard, you know, they may never have worked with that person before. So the director and the rider, quite often, probably don't really know each other very well. Yeah. Um, so the rider's using his own now, so think a little bit more in the worlds. So, so when we look at the the Alaman and the the, the talent that's produced, 
obviously there's there's a few names or a number of names that stand out when you look back over that I mean, obviously, you know, the Cavs and the Peets that have done, ama- you know, uh, and continue to do amazingly well. What what other maybe talents that never quite had the opportunities that you, do, you know, stand out for you that from the outside of myself, obviously? Yeah, uh, that's the standout. Because <laughs> uh, there's, na- I mean, I was writing names down. I remember reading an article years ago, Cav was getting interviewed and he mentioned Joe Kelly as, yeah. a, as a, 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 just an amazing talent who could go so deep. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, using that, not Joe as an example, that kind of names that, Maybe they can quite reach the pinnacle. That well, yeah. I mean, well, you said one there, Mark Christian. So Mark, right. you know, he, he's definitely a good enough bike rider to be racing World Tour, but just those opportunities kind of haven't fallen his way. Basically, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's there's nobody any better than him. He, he won the King of the Mountains in the Tour of the Tour of Switzerland, yet he's not riding World Tour. So how, how does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> so um, you know, him, you got. Anna Christian, so Anna Christian again, she's good enough to be riding World Tour women's racing, as as is Lizzie Holden. Um, both of them, both exceptions, but they're they're still young enough to, to hopefully make that grade as well. Um, so any names not riding now that you um, look back? Joe, and- yeah, Joe. You know, Joe unfortunately had a bad accident. Kind of that probably ended his days. Um, as you know, the way sport is, you know, very brutal. Is that Joe or Jake? Uh, well, both actually. Yeah, so they yeah. both came came through the academy. Yeah. Um, both good good enough to get on the academy, but it's just that kind of filter system. Either you make the grade or you're hoofed out, out, yeah, out the yeah. other end of it. Um, but uh, I'm just trying to think. There's definitely good guys from from over the years. Uh, you could go back to even further back than that, sort of Steve Porter's days and stuff. You know, yeah. way back then, where again there wasn't a lot of opportunity, but good enough. He again. He was second in the Manx International as well. Right. I think he was eighth in one of the Commonwealth Games that we did in New Zealand. I think he was eighth, possibly. Um, but guys from that far back, yeah. um, Burgess. <clears throat> Burgess, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> legend is Burgess. The and looking back now at you know at Cav at that you know when you saw him as a younger lad, did you see did you see talent there? I mean, he talks about it in his books and openly talks about that he was. Num- when you talk about numbers, numbers were never his thing. No, uh, and that uh, he struggled, I think, on the academy earlier years because it was becoming number focused, and he, be- he believed enough in what he could do. But that numbers, well, did you see that talent at a young age? Well, well, funnily enough, so I remember Cav when he was really young. You know, he used to come out with us on the Sunday group rides, and he'd get belted out the back every time the road went about one degree uphill, basically. <clears throat> and I thought, who's this guy? He's thinking useless. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, and I never actually really thought that much of him when he was young, but that's just because he was young, you know. Mm. It, it, people don't develop until certain ages or whatever. So, um, but he went on to the academy, and I, I, I honestly don't think he was a super exception physically. His strength is his, is in his head. You know, he was he just wanted it so bad. He wanted to be the best bike rider in the world and believed that he could be. And I really think that's what got him to where he is. It's it's again looking at that sort of his era, the pathway. When we chatted to Christian, it was just starting to. I think they were one of the first two on the academy yeah, process. Yeah. But again, you go back just before that, and that that pathway isn't there to no. have that belief and desire. So it's much like yourself, fifteen years earlier. Uh, 
yeah, it's quite it's hard like, to see when yeah, when that pathway's not there. It is, yeah. Like uh, like you say, Cav and Christian were the first ones on on the academy that year, and uh, Geraint, I think, as well was. Yeah. So they were like the guinea pigs of it, basically. Um, you know, it, it's and it, and and I'm sure it was an extremely kind of hard lifestyle back then, because even the, the the people running the academy then probably you know didn't really know what they were doing, yeah, or what, what where was, it was to going. be expected. Yeah. So, um. But but like I say, Cav, you know I know Cav quite well, and you know if you say he can't do something, he'll prove you wrong for sure. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. If you uh, look back at his career, I say look back like it's over, but you look at that now. What would a highlight of his career be for you? In in in, in, in you know as a friend of watched him and watched him grow up and. Uh, probably, probably when he when he first won Milan San Remo. Oh, yeah. That was that was an outstanding one, really. Yeah. Um definitely you know all the all the stage wins he's had in tour and and the likes but um i think milan san remo is the one that stands out for me really yeah just so just because of the race that it is like f- for me that's one of the the biggest races that i always kind of held you know high uh, high regard so anybody that could win that was like one of the best guys in the world when i was growing up if you like yeah if you if you google <laughs> the end and watch the end of that i don't know when you remember that race Matty. Uh, he was you know, it was I'm a while ago but he was riding with HTC yeah, yeah. and uh, I want to say Henrik Hausler yeah are just just coming into the sprint and kind of calves I suppose some ways favorite albeit it's it's earlier in his career and it's a long race that one and typically it's more the kind of let's call them mature older riders because they've got more miles in their legs correct me anyway where I'm yeah. wrong because you know they seem better than me uh, and then Henrik Hausler jumped with a certain you know maybe half a k to go and had a good gap and the sprinters were all eyeing each other up. Well, there wasn't many sprinters left, really. No, the, no. Who was left? And Cav just... And he's talked about when we... Uh, Matty and I were at, uh, went to a bike show in London just last year. Yeah. We just uh, Cav happened to be on there. And he, right. I think he was talking about that because he talked about his five favourite sprints. And he was saying just this instinct in him was like, I need to go. And outside of him being one of the best sprinters in the world, he had a you know, 50, 60 metre gap to close as well. Yeah. And uh, there's a picture of him dipping him on the line. Uh, I think that's where I remember. Seeing yeah, and I don't that. think I, I don't know whether Housel's ever got over that. He probably hasn't. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think back. For I always remember a stage. It always makes me. It still makes me chuckle now when it was Armstrong era and they went across the. Uh, was, I think it was that roadway that covered in water for three quarters oh, of the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It was crosswinds that day. Yeah. And there was these side winds, and uh, I think uh, US Post put the hammer down. So as in, they went really hard to split it. Yeah. And he got in the front group with Armstrong. There was a couple of other leaders and a couple of Armstrong's team in there. And they rode to the finish, 40k or whatever. And then Cab won the sprint at the end. Yeah. And he was probably only second year, third year pro. And I remember him getting interviewed. And they were like, uh, so what happened to basically all the other boys that got spat at the back? And he just went, you you're, uh, you ride like a junior, you get a result like a junior. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just, just it made me chuckle on, you know, he's biggest race in the world and it's just yeah. kind of like a comment we'd kind of make just down the local was, race when he was probably only about i don't know 21 or 22 at the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 you ride like a junior you get results like juniors uh, yeah you look back now like again look back in ice boys it's i we had a did a podcast a few weeks ago have you heard it with joe wick i i haven't listened to that one yet but i know you, you've done that yeah yeah i've done some stuff with him as well yeah so just just in in you look back now and you just don't you just even now in his career where he's getting back uh, to an element back, you know, they put his career over. Always, there's always this negativity around that, you know, is he the guy he was? But when you look and you look back at what he did, it's just 
unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. The amount of stages, you know, going to a tour and winning five stages in a, in one year, it's just... Yeah. It's, I think it only once he fully retires, people will... I mean, obviously, gets a lot of praise for it, but I think those people who... There's always that chip until you retire, I think, with any athlete. It's always this one. He's not as good as he used to be. He's not... And oh, it's yeah. only when you actually retire, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you kind of look back. But, and that that's normal as well, you know, he's... With with most athletes, you know, generally they're not as good as they used to be because mm. you know you you try to get your career further and further along, sort of thing, as and bring it because it's hard to stop. You know, if that's all you know, yeah. then then it, it it's such a big life change. Then it's it would be extremely hard to stop, and you you see it with a lot of athletes. Well, MotoGP Valentino Rossi is forty years old; he's still racing the motorbike, yeah. probably because he doesn't know what to do next. What to do if he stops? We chatted to uh, your black man that came in, uh, and he similar when he ended yeah, playing Mark. Yeah, and uh, he, yeah, what what do I do now? It's yeah, all you know from from the age of fourteen, thirteen, it was I want to be an all black and did it, and then when it ends, didn't, didn't think about it the following day. Yeah, it must be hard. Yeah, I know NFL players, a lot of them go bankrupt within a few years of <laughs> end of sports. It's like I don't know what to do. I, I, I just blow every penny. It's conditioning. Yeah, it's conditioning. I guess post sport, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. I think people are getting more aware of, I guess, to try and help them hmm. help them deal with that. So so up to modern day now, you obviously race locally, but you do uh, loads of other things as well. So first of all, let's talk about the ladies' team on the island, which is something you've really created and given that opportunity. Uh, and you can see now, I don't know how many years we're into it, but that that's a... I want to say work in progress, which sounds disrespectful, but it's not. It's meant because it didn't really get the recognition it should. Uh, we've had, you know, you look like someone like Marie Purvis, Marie Noon that used to race. We've got good caliber, Lizzie, Anna. There's, there's talent on the Isle of Man. Yeah. And you've built that structure now. Again, own back, own. You talk about giving back to athletes and, and giving you pleasure. So is that, again, something that you just obviously enjoy doing and that can see a long-term goal there? Yeah, it's... Uh... I suppose that's strange how that ever came about, really. Um, it's not something that I'd ever thought of doing. It just kind of happened, really. Um, so I was taking, I was, you know, I was started, well, stopped racing, started taking teams away and, and managing Island Games teams. And I suppose it was probably the first Island Games I was at in Jersey. So Lizzie was the only female we had on the team. And I just kind of thought, just in the back of my head, this isn't right, something's something's missing here you know this needs to change <clears throat> so kind of from then really i just wanted to give more opportunity for them mm. to have something to aspire to so and it has built so that's been i suppose since it kind of got involved with that more so it's been going maybe four years i suppose now well be in a fourth year mm. um and and just trying to give them like their own community to kind of train with so we do you know group rides throughout the winter now especially regular group rides but it then lets other women within the sport see that there's something going on and yeah. they can kind of join in and just keep building on those numbers yeah. and then that little community just keeps growing and growing so it's definitely grown quite a lot over these few years that we've done it not even you know whether they race or not doesn't really matter so some of them will aspire to to you know bring their racing as far as they can bring it and that's great but those who just want to get out and give it a go then then at least they've got people they, they can ride with and kind of get involved with talk like-minded like-minded yeah, like friendships people yeah, all yeah. doing the same thing we see that through the club website people 
uh, ladies contacting us is the group rides and obviously we've had a few messages about that and yeah. uh, like you say it's creating that environment to get people and people and ladies particularly involved in the sport where it was ultimately i guess more male dominated yeah. environment certainly on the Isle man historically exactly so even like say I, you know I've, I've brought them away to a few races across um and and one i love doing it because again it's i'm kind of given back my knowledge and and experience to help to help them out but it just allows them to to give a you know a race a good go at but in a team environment rather mm. than kind of going away with you know just on their own or, yeah, or yeah. just a family member bringing them away or whatever it may be at least they're going away as a proper team and doing it to the best that we can do it with our with what resources we've got basically yeah so those resources you've <clears throat> sort of built a team around got some sponsors that help you with that yeah so uh got Conister bank and mac group financial who are who've backed us over the last three years actually so they've been a, a, a big help to us just you know as anybody knows on the island it's just the, the traveling is the main thing yeah, so yeah. definitely giving us that to, to get away and do these races i, I mean i can see how whether you might because you don't really go out much but uh <laughs> you can see the 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 level continuing from the lady side continue well if i kick my ass uh continuing to improve so it's uh it's working for sure yeah, oh yeah. yeah i mean and you see more women out and ladies out riding the bikes as well there's a there's a lot more out and, and the level i mean look at jesse she's yeah. jesse's jesse's kicking some of the guys asses yeah, out there yeah, now yeah, isn't she yeah. big time um you know the, the so they're they're well she won that beat that beat she that, won overall the, the sport, beat race yeah she? the sporting race yeah and, and they've got strong lads you know strong strong lads in there yeah and just as much as Jess is working, got a full-time job, so have all the lads. So, yeah. she, you know, it's a level playing field. She's not out full-time training. Oh, so, no, not yeah, at all, yeah. no. Uh, yeah, those great opportunities. So then there's that. There's then, so you involved in Cycle Fest. Yeah, um, so that's something, yeah, just came about through Paul Phillips. Um, brilliant event. So when he first approached me, when they first started that, just to kind of get involved as an ambassador, um, loved the sound of it, loved the ideas that he was kind of putting together behind it. You know, it, it it sounded like a proper event. It wasn't just kind of something that was kind of run out the back of uh, a village hall sort of thing. Mm. So definitely it was all singing, all dancing with the, the music festival and everything that, that was first involved with it. Um, and then even this year, the, so the way this year has been with everything with COVID and everything else, I mean, the, the amount of entries that we had this year was absolutely out of this world. Biggest entry ever with just locals. Um and and the way Paul runs it, you know, everything wants he wants it to be an event. Yes, there's it's a cycling event, but it's that people going away and and having the the thought that they've been part of something that was something special. Basically, that's yeah. that's kind of what yeah. I see behind it, and and it's something a little bit different and and big time. So they feel like they've gone away and done one of these massive kind of sportifs that you go to Europe to do, basically. Yeah. And it, I think the, the desires to continue to certainly, hopefully, for a year from now, our borders will be open. So yeah, it'll be that X amount of entry from the island again, plus plus the UK, you know, worldwide people coming across. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah hopefully. It'll and it, it's not often you get to race on Manx roads closed either. I use the word race, even ride, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that I mean, the road closure thing is is huge. You know, yeah. the, the fact that he can get all that done and, and the roads that we're able to use. You, you wouldn't get that anywhere in the uk yeah. you know you can go and do 
do the premier calendars even they're not they're not racing on roads like that nowadays definitely not closed ones um so you know it, it's it's amazing really and then there's uh what's up performance your company yeah what maybe the question is what don't you do but what do you do because you do a lot uh, I, through that I don't do window cleaning <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i kind of where suppose, did that start from i suppose that kind well that started coaching initially so i when the last few years that i was racing i was also coaching some riders so it evolved from that really um so then when i fully stopped i carried on with the coaching um coaching has grown quite a lot over the over the years that i've been doing it so i've been coaching for 10 years i suppose now um so that's the that's the biggest side of it um and then that kind of evolved i do bike fitting as well so setting people's positions up and that that ranges from people who've never sat on a bike yeah before so in this lives. isn't about me a racer it's about yes, all levels and abilities general, general people on bikes yeah. basically so yeah. even e-bikes i'm getting people in with with e-bikes right. you know who just want to be comfortable to go out and enjoy a bike ride so there's that um and then just the whole kind of performance and kind of mental aspect to sport as well so i've kind of gotten that kind of happened i suppose two or three years ago where i kind of really kind of looked into that side of the the angle of it so with nlp coaching yeah that's um, phil quirk that's done some of his courses yeah and... so i've done his course with the the nlp practitioner uh, and that that ties together so well with coaching it's unreal like like i said the 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 sporting athlete if you like or any athlete um their biggest battle is themselves so they're, they're just competing against themselves in their own head half the time and it's kind of nailing into that a little bit and kind of working with the athlete and kind of making them realize what they can do rather than what they can't do right <clears throat> and how how many athletes are you currently coaching working with uh i'm usually on a roughly around 30 athletes so and that's kind of a good number if i go more than that i'm spreading myself a bit too thinly um and i've i've probably sat on roughly around that number for the i don't know seven or eight years i kind of sit on that number um and and that's so that's kind of developed year on year i'm on a, and that's kind of part of coaching as well same the same as the athlete themselves are always looking for refinements or ways to improve mm -hmm. and i as a coach you have to do that as well and definitely if you're not doing that as a coach you're not doing your job yeah. well i don't think so two other quick questions that i have left so you talked earlier about uh flag bearing and i think kind of skimmed because we got straight into delhi but flag bearing for the commonwealth games i imagine that was an experience and, a, and an honor yeah that was uh yeah, I was asked to do that, which was, was which was great. You know, that I've always thought of the, the Commonwealth Games as, as a the biggest thing you can do to represent the Isle of Man for sure as yeah. as an athlete. Um, so it was an honour to be asked to do it. Um, yeah, you get it was, to keep the flag. <laughs> no, all oh, right. <laughs> you get to keep the hat. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was great. You know, that was that was kind of a one off thing that that I'll always kind of get to look back on and say I've done that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and and, and talking about all these kind of di different things, actually, I've got another question, actually. Uh, but I know for a, for a year, we, you're obviously friends with Carl Crutchlow, you travelled and helped him for a, for a year travelling. Uh, how was that experience from just, whether you got to see much of each country, I don't know, probably not, straight yeah. to a track, sort him out, leave next. But how did you find that experience? Good. Um, so, yeah, myself and Cal have 
you know very good friends um so cal needed a well what they call it's rider's helper basically um so he needed somebody um 2018 um and asked me to do it so i was honored to be asked actually um and the funny thing is we're such good friends it was it was kind of a hard question for him to even ask me to do it um so yeah i i had coached him years before that when he was kind of working on his fitness gains a lot more so and then i've kind of then i went into his world where it was totally new to me um you know you're looking after the you know one of the best motorbike racers in the world basically you're working at motor gp level so that that's as good as it gets and you're looking at after that rider as a one-on-one -on -one, you know everything anything and everything that they need that's what you're there for basically so mm. which you kind of get coming from a cycling background you get it because it's but it's not done to the extent that it's done in motor gp um great experience seeing a lot of the world but like you say all i seen was the inside of a garage and a hotel room yeah. basically maybe a I, I never actually see, i never seen a, a bike live bike that whole season on the track oh, I, really? seen it, I seen it on a monitor and that's it what was the biggest surprise in that world that... uh the biggest surprise would be the lack of resources some of the riders use because they definitely they they can afford to, to get whatever they need to use. Um, so fitness aspects, most of them are really fit guys. Most of them cycle to, to, to stay fit. Any one of them guys that are racing MotoGP could come and ride one of our races and probably bury half of us in the, in the yeah. ground. Well, you've seen that. As we've Cal experienced our Cal packs, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, many a times. Yeah, um, but a lot of them don't look at the the refinements that say a professional cyclist would look at so diet not as much definitely they don't use the mental side of the sport and for them like everything they're straight out of the garage and doing 300k an hour basically and if their head's not in the game then mm. something's not going to work yeah, well yeah. but most of them don't use anything to work on that All part right. of the sport mm. But they're but then they're a little bit of a different breed as well. They're very very self motivated guys, um, and I think you know. And I don't know because I, I haven't spoken to most of them. But no, it's just your observations yeah, from being from around. Observations, yeah. you know, they must have a lot of mental strength to do what they do. You know, they they're they're putting their lives on the line. Yeah. So well, TT riders would be exactly the same. You know, they're they're ripping down the road. At, at ridiculous speeds and what their thought process is behind that i have no idea yeah. <coughs> we, we spoke i think it was on air briefly with rich sill about that because he'd done a study yeah and he he talked about that because they prepare that certainly in in in, in the tt they're, they're pretty much preparing their own bikes to a point to a level but it's all controlled so whatever however we observe it from the outside we're like this looks out of control and crazy much like they might look at a cyclist going down at 60k an hour in lycra thinking he's nuts but yeah. you've done it you're you're in control you've built the bike you trust the bike you know it's a limits that it's all controlled so it's therefore not irrational in your head yeah. and i presume they're, they're working on that same level of they know they're pretty much the limit and yeah. uh, therefore they ultimately in control of this <laughs> as much as you might not believe it they're in control of the situation but you still do want you still do wonder they they used to you kind of people would say they got the screw loose wouldn't you but 
Well, that, that, yeah, but in their in their world, it's not. No, hundred percent. And, yeah, and no, you do no. get that. Like same with MotoGP. You know, they're so if you compared it to cycling, that's more like doing a criterium. It's a it's a bunch start and it's yeah. a bunch race, and so all those other aspects that are going on, they probably don't even register. All they're thinking about is winning. Yeah. You know, they're 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 thinking I've got to get around this guy that's in front of yeah. me, and that's all that that's that's what the register is short term basically. And do you see that with Cal <clears throat> on a push bike that? ability to because they must be so in tune with the bike to know where the movement is i think i'd heard a story about you and cal coming off the mountain once in some snow and his yeah. ability to handle a bike yeah is that kind of like just different level oh yeah like the the talent is unreal like cal, cal on a bicycle his control on the bicycle is amazing like i've i've been training with him coming down mountain descents with top professional cyclists and he'll leave them for dust basically right. And going into corners on the front wheel, you know, right. doing stoppies into the, into corners, doing 50k an hour and stupid things like that. Yeah. I'm thinking, what are, what are you even doing? Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, just talent, isn't it? And ability to yeah. be in tune with the with the bike. Uh, but exceptional athletes as well. So I mean, I know Cal well enough to to say like, as far as kind of grit and determination goes, I I, I know nobody else with with that same amount that he has. Yeah. You know, I'm sure if he chose any other sport, he would have been top top level. I would have said. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> sure, he could probably be a pro bike rider. He probably could do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, he likes to think he could. Do. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the final question, which I kind of forgot, just to back to on the training side, and you train training athletes. What's your what's your approach to athletes? Pretty much bespoke to if somebody needs a lot of hand holding and data is not important to them, albeit it's important to you to understand and interpret it. Yeah. How do you? What's your methodology? Um, really working closely with the athlete. So it doesn't have to be data driven. If they, I have athletes who don't use data at all and mm. that's fine. So it's just really, do you find it harder to coach that? It, it's harder because you don't, you you don't see on progression. you're yeah. not seeing. So the data gives you the backup to see their progression basically. So if somebody just telling you they feel good or they feel tired, then there's no, there's no backup to that. There's no reason. Sometimes there's no reason to figure out what what's going on so once you've got that data in place as well then you you can really build a picture and kind of monitor everything that's happening and imagine that ultimately for, <laughs> for athletes and this is something that with data as well with athletes that have that and most of us do have struggles in our head about our form etc that data is just it's less about oh, i feel a bit tired why do i feel tired it's you can just rationalize or more importantly you can rationalize the form so your form might be going in a good direction but if you have a couple of bad days you end up overtraining because you think you're having a bad few days or you are having a bad few days so you overtrain and then that bad day becomes a bad week and that that must that data must helps alleviate that problem well yeah i mean i've got definitely i've got a i won't name them but there's definitely a couple of people who i have who struggle with confidence a little bit so and i know their fitness level is unreal their numbers are unreal and it's just being reassuring them with the data so that yeah, data yeah. helps that reassurance yeah, basically yeah. so I'll, I'll do zoom calls with them or, or or sit down and talk to them if they're local if they're not local it's obviously zoom is a great thing nowadays yeah. <laughs> um, and i'll you know i'll show them on screen so yes in your you know you're telling me you're feeling terrible and things aren't going right so firstly there's there's your data that's where you are physically which is amazing what else is going on in your life that's where that's where you can kind of get to something else that's kind of happening in the background you know it's generally nothing to do with the sport 
and you know we can kind of work through things and yeah, see what yeah. else that might need change and it might be for those that are working they might be going through a hard a hard time at work or whatever it might be so it's just little changes like that that you can kind of get to and do you see triathletes as well i do yeah. yeah yeah so more so more recently actually over the last couple of years i've kind of taken on triathletes so mm. i don't deal with their swimming no. <laughs> so i've heard <laughs> i could tell you we could tell you triathlon yeah, story yeah. as well if you want from doing that so uh yeah locally so triathletes i'll um i kind of structure their week basically so that's the biggest part of the training structure and how they they manage their time right most of them will swim with their swim group um i will structure their runs for them should they want it uh, and obviously a structure is that because it's similar to biking in regard to intervals and that type of yeah it's it's, yeah. it's really very similar actually yeah. uh, and it, and triathlon's a funny one where it's kind of distant dependent as well depending on what distant event that they're yeah. aiming for so you've got olympic distance um iron man athletes yeah. iron man athletes are easier to work with because the it's mass it's, you know it's, it's just volume. a massive yeah. volume and endurance event so then that becomes a mental game basically especially on 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 some of the days some of their training days are just ridiculous basically um, yeah that's kind of <clears throat> what they call brick days the yeah, bricks. yeah yeah brick yeah. days so at iron man level some of those days can be just horrible even looking at them yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it was on my list to do but it's falling down at the moment along with my knee uh <laughs> Thanks for coming in. I don't know whether you have any questions, Matt, before I cut you off. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. It's been really insightful. Mm -hmm. Great to chat about those experiences back in the in the nineties as well. And uh hopefully yeah. I'm sure people will find that uh find that interesting. I think uh I'd like to think the discussion hasn't <laughs> all the people's view of cycling because it's such a beautiful sport. Uh you know, my my belief is it, it is a, a good clean place as much as most other sports if not more probably than many sports that are out there yeah uh, certainly if you want to get involved in cycling while well, we're all sat around this table we absolutely love the sport and uh, I think on the island it's very welcoming sport uh, I'm sure if people want to get in touch with you they can always reach out to you through your website Facebook yeah. blah 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 and that, all that type of thing so no thanks for sharing your experiences yeah. with us no, thank, no you thank you yeah, yeah thank pleasure. you as you say hopefully uh, uh, people don't uh, read into those dark day stories too much, and things are definitely you know you know. No, well, your, your story is the sport. other side of that line, isn't it? Where you yeah. didn't cross that line, and you know, like you say, there's potential that you lost those opportunities. You live with that, and that's that's fine. It, and but it's like you say, all we kind of hear is the 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 other side of that line where mm. people did cross it. And I think yeah. it's, these are probably more interesting stories about those people that didn't. And there's. Basson, is it? Is he the other is oh, he the yeah, rider? Yeah. So he's yeah. a famous rider from the nineties who, who never crossed the line, was very vocal about it back then and was belittled for many, many years until yeah. obviously the stories came out. So the story's very much similar to his, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I suppose it is in a yeah, way. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so no, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Um so wherever you're listening to us today, please like, share, subscribe and leave those five star reviews pretty please. Uh, on the social side, Facebook for the M Word Podcast, Twitter, Manx Sports Pod. And on Instagram, we are the M Word IOM. Thanks, sexy people, for letting us get in your ears. It's Word Out from Mom. And Word Out from Matt. Screw you guys, I'm going home.